for streaming and recording so we can begin. Excellent. Good evening, and I'd like to call to order the regular meeting of the Berkeley City Council for Tuesday, November 29th, 2022. And before we proceed to a roll call, I will play the COVID-19 meeting announcement recording. Pursuant to Government Code Section 54953E and the State Declared Emergency, this meeting will be conducted exclusively through teleconference and Zoom video conference. The COVID-19 state of emergency continues to directly impact the ability of the members to meet safely in person and presents imminent risks to the health of the attendees. Therefore, please be advised that no physical meeting location will be available. Please be mindful that this meeting may be recorded as any public meeting may be recorded and all other rules of procedure and decorum will apply for meetings conducted by teleconference or video conference. Live caption broadcasts of City Council meetings are available on cable BTV channel 33 and via internet accessible video stream on the city's website. To access the meeting remotely using the internet, join from a PC, Mac, iPad, iPhone, or Android device using the URL indicated on the agenda for this meeting. If you do not wish for your name to appear on the screen, then use the drop-down menu and click on Rename to rename yourself to be anonymous. To request to speak, use the raise hand icon on the screen. To join by phone, dial the number indicated on the agenda for this meeting and enter the meeting ID. If you wish to comment during the public comment portion of the agenda, press star nine and wait to be recognized by the chair. Now I'd like to ask the city clerk to please call the roll. Council member Kesarwani. Here. Kaplan. Absent. Uh, Bartlett. Also absent. Harrison. Here. On. Present. Wengraff. Present. Robinson. Present. Drosty. Here. And Mayor Erigy. Present. Okay. The quorum of the city council is present. Thank you very much. I wanna just call attention to the land acknowledgement statement that is on our published agenda. Uh, pursuant to the policy that we adopted uh, over a month ago, we will read the land acknowledgement statement at the beginning of our city council meeting once a month. But I just wanna call attention to the fact the city council has adopted a land acknowledgement statement recognizing that we are still on the ancestral and unseen land of the Chechenyo speaking Ohlone people. And, um, uh, it's important, I think, that the city of Berkeley recognize this um, and also uh, recognize and honor um, our local indigenous community. And we have also asked various boards and commissions to also follow the city council's practice to also adopt land acknowledgement statements as well. So just want to call attention to that. With that, that brings us to ceremonial matters. And uh, there's two items on today's ceremonial calendar. Uh, first, I'd like to present a proclamation this evening in honor of our outgoing city building official, Alex Rochal. And uh, Mr. Rochal, I believe is with us um, this evening. And um, very sad that tonight is Mr. Rochal's last uh, Berkeley City Council meeting. He'll be retiring um, after over 30 years of um, service for the city of Berkeley, including 12 years as the chief building official and building and safety manager. And I just wanna say on a personal note, that I've really had the pleasure of working with Mr. Shaw on a couple of major initiatives, including the adoption of legislation to establish the exterior elevated 
Elements Ordinance in the wake of the tragic um, Library Gardens balcony collapse and the work that Mr. Rochal and his team at the Building and Safety Division to quickly respond to, I think, the failure of, of, of that particular uh, building um, to be safely constructed and provide safe housing for people in our city. Um, set a standard for new building standards that have been adopted by the state of California. And I, this is one area where our building and safety division has really demonstrated great leadership, not just here in the city of Berkeley, but throughout the state of California. Um, and also his work to strengthen our rental housing safety program. And tonight on our agenda is the um, uh, enactment of a new housing code, which is really critical to the implementation and strengthening of our housing code inspection program. And Mr. Rashal, through it all, has just been very committed to protecting the health and safety of our community, and has just demonstrated great professionalism, and uh, just so grateful to you, Alex, for all your service. And so with that, I'd like to uh, present this proclamation, and then turn the floor over to you thereafter. So give me one second to pull up the, the text of the proclamation. Um, okay, so this is in honor of Alex Rashal. Whereas Alex Rashal has served the city admirably for over 30 years as a building plans examiner, senior building plans examiner, and for the past 12 years as a chief building official and building and safety manager. And whereas Mr. Rashal has led the building and safety division through its dramatic growth in size from 12 to 50 employees, including incorporating our permit service center and re rental housing safety program. He's been an inspiration to his team leading by example with his incredible knowledge of our building code, housing code, state and local codes, and his ability to find solutions to assist the public, to support the development and preservation of housing, and to support and retain staff in his department. He has pioneered new local codes for Berkeley, regulating emergency housing, exterior elevated elements, green and green building that have become a standard statewide. And Mr. Rashal served effectively and decisively as a first responder in numerous disasters and emergencies, including fires and in the tragic 2015 Library Gardens balcony collapse. He has modernized permitting operations with his oversight of the transition to electronic plan check processes, the build out of the permit service center and other technologies and tools that have established the Berkeley Building and Safety Division as a model organization in the region and the state. And whereas with his retirement in December 2022, he leaves behind a legacy of dedication to public service and professionalism. So now, therefore, be it resolved that I, Jesse Edegain, the mayor of the city of Berkeley, proudly declare today, November 29, 2022, as Alex Rochelle Day in the city of Berkeley, and thank him on behalf of the entire city council for his decades of service and dedication to the Berkeley community. So... Congratulations, Mr. Rashal. Um, and we're just well, sat while we're sad that you're retiring and leaving the city of Berkeley organization. We're so grateful for all that you've done over the years. And with that, I want to turn the floor over to you if you'd like to make any comments to the city council and the public tonight. Well, sure. Thank you. Thank you very much for uh, honoring me with this proclamation. It's been a pleasure and a privilege uh, to serve the city. I've had a great ride here for over 31 years including uh, close to 20 years, 12 years as the building official. And yeah, even though I'm credited with all these, uh, you know, accomplishments, it's uh, really all due to our team, due to so many smart, dedicated, hardworking people working for the building and safety division. 
I've said it multiple times before. It's what makes the building a safety division a great place to work is the people who work here. And we have all managed over the years to get along and grow as a division from 12 employees to 50 as of now, dividing up uh, our areas of expertise, uh, be it always coming together when it's needed. So I'm very happy that uh, our building a safety team remains healthy, strong, and will be led by great knowledgeable hardworking managers and supervisors who you know, will continue to make valuable contributions to the city. And with that, I wish my team, my building a safety team, the planning department and the city all the best. Well, thank you so much, Mr. Rashal, for your many years of exceptional service to the city of Berkeley. And we just wish you all the best in your retirement. And I know you'll be staying on uh, because you'll be presenting later on a couple of other items. Um, and we look forward to adopting those, those items, items that you worked very hard on and bringing new codes to the city of Berkeley to strengthen green building and our local housing standards. Yeah. So thank you so very much. Thank you very much. Okay, um, we'll now um, move on to the next item on our ceremonial calendar as noticed on our published agenda. Sadly, we'd like to adjourn tonight's city council meeting in honor of longtime Berkeley resident, Al Wasserman, um, who was actually a neighbor of mine, uh, who sadly passed away at the age of 92 on November 7th. Um, and Al um, was a longtime Berkeley resident who came to Berkeley actually working for the Bechtel Corporation and later um, ended up uh, sort of shifting careers to becoming a lawyer um, and ultimately working on a number of social causes, active with the National Lawyers Guild, helping um, defend the Black Panther Party. He served as president of the Berkeley Albany chapter of the American Civil Liberties Union and uh, personally, I got to know Al in uh, the mid-2010 uh, 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 decade, um, this involvement in an effort to create a new Sunshine Ordinance in Berkeley to promote more oversight and transparency in our local government. And he brought his, his sort of legal expertise and his commitment to the Berkeley community in, the, in those many meetings and efforts to create a Sunshine Policy. And I know that um, he's definitely been involved in many social causes in the Berkeley community. And so um, on behalf of the city council, we'd like to adjourn our meeting in honor of Al Wasserman, longtime Berkeley resident. Thank you very much. So um, with that, that completes our ceremonial calendar. We'll proceed now to city manager comments. I'd like to ask the acting city manager if he has any comments for the city council tonight. Uh, no comments tonight, Mr. Mayor, thank you. Okay, thank you very much. So we'll now proceed to the next order of business, which is public comment on non-agenda matters. This is an opportunity for any member of the public to address the council on matters not on our city council agenda. And so the way we'll conduct this public comment period is I'd like to ask, are there any attendees that wish to speak on non-agenda public comment? Um, we will take your comments on the consent and action calendar later when we get to the consent and action calendar, but this is an opportunity for a public comment on non-agenda matters. And so the way we'll conduct this is if there are um, Five or fewer speakers, we'll allot two minutes per speaker to address the council. If there are more than five speakers, we will allot one minute. So let me once again ask, are there any other attendees that wish to speak on non-agenda matters? I see we have five raised hands, so we will provide two minutes per speaker. Our first uh, raised hand is Joe. And Joe, you should now be able to speak. I thank you very much, Mayor Aragin. Um what I wanna speak about tonight is the Berkeley Housing Authority. Uh, it's hard to understand 
you know, their status in the city government. Um, I've been calling the housing authority. I've been calling the 311 number. I've been calling council people and almost nobody returns calls, even about the simplest, most basic um, question of when the next board of commissioners of the Berkeley Housing Authority is meeting. Um, and I'm, I'm really, don't know what to do next. Um, I want to attend the meeting. I'm very curious about what has come up in terms of uh, a recent action by the housing authority. Um, and that is about the vouchers that the housing and urban development um, department has reserved for the supported housing element at People's Park. Um, one of the environmental specialists at, at HUD informed me that the Berkeley Housing Authority, along with resources for community development, stopped answering phone calls um, that were necessary to complete in order to um, proceed with the process of completing an environmental review so the housing uh, vouchers could be uh, released. Oh, I know, you know that some of the members of the council in their appearances at various regents meetings um, held the supportive housing in very high regard as do uh, we, the People's Park Historic District, as long as it's built in an appropriate site, not on People's Park. So being such an important you know, moral issue, I'm wondering why did the housing authority just abandon those vouchers? and I can't find out any information about it. Thank you very much. Thank you. We'll go next to Bryce Nesbitt, followed by Moni Law. Hello, Council. I'm commenting to make you aware that for the next five weeks at least, Berkeley has an RV waste dump uh, program. For any members of the public who have an RV with waste, who wish to dump it, they can show up on Wednesdays at 1 p.m down at Grayson Street. Now, this was an approved council project at some point and there was some funding, but it got used elsewhere. Uh, this project was done privately. Secondly, I would like to raise council's awareness of the um, studies that are going on on the Hopkins corridor. There's a parking study and some other studies. My concern with these is that these seem designed and the surveys seem designed not to learn anything, but to confirm what the city had already approved. And I wish to raise your awareness of that. Thank you, that's it for today. Thank you. We'll go next to Money Law, followed by Jim Ophel. Money Law should now be able to speak. Good evening, Mayor and Council. Um, in this holiday season, I wanted to share um, some grief and some happiness. Um, I found it very sad and unfortunate this weekend uh, during a holiday that a woman unhoused and her child uh, were unable to find shelter. And but for the grace of God and the kindness of Paul K. Aloha Blake, um, she was sleeping outside of the Bing Wong uh, laundromat in North Berkeley and um, had no place to go and he tried to find shelter, couldn't find a place. So there were about nine or 10 of us rapidly finding ways and resources to help this 12 year old child and the single mother on the street. 
and nothing was open. There's no room in the end. And it just reminded me of the story of Mary and Joseph and seeking shelter and there was no room in the end. We need to have a program for shelter, at least emergency vouchers. In some cities I've worked with in the past, we had emergency vouchers that would be used for hotel rooms when there were not shelter beds available. No one should be cold on the street. Um, the mother is now actually in the hospital and quite sick. Um, and we are all attempting to do our best to help her. I do wanna thank Dr. Lisa Warhouse, who during the weekend was responding to an email or first thing on Monday, and we are trying to work with the Women's uh, uh, Drop-In Center, Daytime Drop-In Center. They replied and are attempting to find housing for this family. Um, but there is a huge gap of our safety net, so big that people are dropping and falling and hurt, um, harmed by that. And sadly, some lose their lives on the street and shouldn't. So we could do better. And Berkeley needs to provide uh, services and available shelter throughout the year, including weekends and holidays. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Ms. Law, I encourage you to reach out to my office. We do have emergency vouchers. I think we get through the county. We can place people, particularly families in hotel rooms. So I'd like to follow up with you about this. Obviously, it's very concerning. Um, and thank you for your work on this. Jim O'Fell, followed by Wendy. Thank you, Mayor Harrigan. I also want to speak briefly on the Hopkins Quarter Project. I want to call the council's attention to what appears to be a lack of oversight we're finding regarding city staff's engagement with the Office of Emergency Services and the Berkeley Fire Department. As you may or may not know, Hopkins Street is designated as an emergency evacuation route. But additionally, over a number of years, we've been told repeatedly that traffic calming and reduction measures cannot be undertaken for Hopkins between Gilman and Sacramento due to its use for emergency vehicle access. The Association of Bay Area Governments and the State Department of Transportation have extensive guidelines and requirements regarding changes made to evacuation and emergency vehicle routes. And, and we cannot get an answer from anybody, and we have tried, and a number of us have tried uh, numerous times now to get information as to whether or not uh, this plan uh, for Hopkins Street, which we are opposed to largely on safety issues, uh, has been reviewed by the Berkeley Fire Department and by the Office of Emergency Services. Uh, we're just getting a constant runaround on that. I also want to reiterate what a previous caller said about the uh, parking study. I received a copy of the parking study. Uh, I received it on Tuesday afternoon, I believe, before Thanksgiving. Uh, had, I believe, nine days to fill it out with city staff, as I understood it, not available for the first five-day period that the uh, survey was posted. Uh, I learned that uh, the people up on, I believe, Talbot, well away from uh, Hopkins Corridor, received the study. However, uh, my neighbor on Albina, who lives half a block off Hopkins, on a street that would bear the brunt of the effects of the removal of all the parking, the 60, 50 or 60 spaces on parking, uh, did not receive it. So we're trying to get information as well. Uh, we've asked now, again, repeatedly for information about how the study was was uh, put together. This is the first we've heard of anything now seven weeks after the council meeting at which there was uh, discussion about numerous studies that were going to be done. Uh, we're waiting to see those studies. Uh, but this first one uh, seems, at least at, at, at the outset, to not be very well constructed. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I have received several emails from neighbors who live near Hopkins, um, just to respond to the, the gentleman who spoke, alleging that they did not receive the, the survey. So I'd like to refer this issue to the city manager's office. Um, we'll go next to Wendy, followed by Carol Morosevic. Hi, my name is Wendy Gibson. I'm here as a parent 
of a Cal Berkeley student, as you may or may not be aware, 40,000 of your constituents are Cal Berkeley students at, at Berkeley. So that's about 34% of your constituents are students at Berkeley. Um, about a year ago, Concern, you all met with Concerned Parents um, to understand what measures were going to be taken to address crime and unsafe conditions in the Berkeley area next to Cal where, many, where much student housing is located. Um, it seems that in that, this last year that uh, crime has gotten worse in your city, going from purse snatching type events uh, where people will grab a backpack to now backpacks being being stolen, being robbed from students at gunpoint and people going away in getaway cars. That's what you're facing in your city. Uh, I have stats from the 28 uh, day period uh, ending October 9th from crime mapping to give you an example. There were 441 incident records in the 94704 zip code Three incidents were guns. And then of course, you know about the homicide where hundreds of people had gathered uh, where somebody was killed and there was uh, four people shot. Um, that compared to you at the area around USC in the same amount of time, there were 144 incidents. So you're talking about um, a terribly dangerous area in Los Angeles being about two thirds less crime happening there. I hope that you guys will give uh, the crime in your city some consideration. I, I uh, thank you so much. We'll go next to Carol Morosevic and that's our last uh, speaker on non-agenda public comment. Carol, you should not be able to speak. Okay. Um, uh, first, uh, the Homeless Services Panel of Experts did adopt uh, the land acknowledgement that was recommended that commissions adopt uh, in, its, in its verbatim form. Uh, it, I've heard other commissions and they're somewhat confused about it, whether they're supposed to take pieces of it or what exactly they're supposed to do. And someone should actually follow up since this was only a recommendation to commissions to uh, identify which commissions are, um, are adopting that acknowledgement and clarify the issues with that. Uh, but I wanna follow up really on what Moni Law spoke to. There, I'm aware that there are vouchers available. And again, this goes to the lack of coordination, people knowing what is going on and, and not having a place uh, to call when these situations arise, when a crisis situation, whether it's someone that's gonna be cold outside with her child or someone in a mental health crisis. It, there is just, we have all these services that we're funding, but there is no central point where people can call at all times 24 seven and get a direct response to whatever the situation is. I've spoken in other settings about what I came upon uh, that now two or three weeks ago where there was a man crawling through the intersection by the Berkeley Bowl. Uh, and uh, and I had to go in the street so someone didn't hit him, a large truck or something, and had to stay with him for two hours. Uh, a couple times I managed to get him to sit down and then he'd go back to crawl through the entry of the parking lot at the Berkeley Bowl. And when I called the police, they 
their response was that he was following the rules of the road because he was in the crosswalk. And when I called back again and had a commander out, they had no idea how to address the situation. Um, similarly, a, um, a, quite, a friend of mine had, was attacked at the, with pepper spray at the Safeway. Uh, and again, we need something um, that is totally coordinated and hopefully the SEU that you're planning to spend $4.5 million on for two years is going to have the coordination with all the agencies in place. Thank you. That completes public comment on non-agenda matters. We'll have another public comment period on non-agenda matters at the conclusion of our meeting this evening. We'll now move to the consent calendar. And first you received a, a time critical item from council member Bartlett. And let me pull that up. Give me one second. This is urgent agenda material being submitted pursuant to government code section 54954.2B2. Uh, the item is entitled uh, resolution and support and reaffirming support for the for net energy metering. Um, the proposed resolution is in support of net energy metering. Um, on November 10, 2022, the California Public Utilities Commission issued a proposed decision that continues to threaten access to net energy metering and rooftop scale solar and, solar and storage. Um, the decision was um, was submitted after the deadline for submitting an item for this agenda. The um, commission uh, will vote as early as December 15, 2022. Um, and so this item is being submitted to ensure that the, the Berkeley City Council can weigh in on this matter and uh, transmit its position to the CPUC in time for their consideration and vote on the proposed um, net energy metering 3.0 decision. So Councilor Bartlett, do you wanna make a motion to accept this item? Yes, uh, so moved. Second. Okay, this is a procedural motion. So the question before the council is whether to add this item to the agenda pursuant to government code section 54954.2B2. A two thirds vote is required to add the item to the agenda. I'd like to ask the city clerk to please call the roll. Council member Kisarwani? Yes. Kaplan? Yes. Bartlett? Yes. Harrison? Yes. Hahn? Yes. Wengraff? Yes. Robinson? Yes. Drosty? Yes. And Mayor Arrigan? Yes. Motion okay, the motion does carry. The item has now been added to our agenda and has been submitted as a consent calendar item. So as such, it will be on the consent calendar and I'd like to be added as a co-sponsor, possible Councilor Barlow. Yes, of course, thank you. Thank you. Okay, so um, we'll now proceed to the rest of the consent calendar. Um, and I'd like to ask, is there any member that wishes to address uh, the consent calendar? Council Member Hahn? Um, yes, thank you very much. Um, so let's see. Um, item 10, the renewal of the Solana Avenue bid. I just wanted to say um, our economic- That's not the action calendar, Council Member Hahn. We're not there yet. Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. You are right. Uh, so short. Um, so I would like to 
uh, pull from the information calendar for us to receive reports um, at a future meeting. The Climate Action Plan and Resilience Update, which I think has some interesting information that the community yeah. would be interested in. And I'm also, I would like to uh, have a presentation and discussion of item 17, the city policies for managing parking around bar stations. I think that's a topic that um, would be of, of concern and interest to the, the broader community. And I'm a little concerned that there may be some new policy in there that um, that the council may want to discuss and um, consider. Yeah, I read the report and I didn't see that the effect of the report was establishing any sort of policy, but I do agree that there was an evaluation of existing policies and programs and options. Um, so with first with respect to item 16, the climate action plan and resilience update, what I and I do agree it would be beneficial to have a um, presentation discussion on this. I'd like to suggest we move item 16 to the consent calendar for the purposes of sending it to the agenda and rules committee for future scheduling. And then we can work with the planning department to find an appropriate date to schedule that item. So I'd like to ask the council, is there any objection to moving item 16 to the consent calendar for the purpose of sending it to agenda and rules to be scheduled for a future um, discussion and presentation? Is there any objection to that? Councilor Drosty, are you objecting to that or do you wish to speak on something else? Okay. So that'll be the action with respect to item 17. Um, are you are you suggesting that we discuss that this evening? No, I, I don't think that would make sense. I think it would be better for us to also continue this um, and ask the agenda committee to schedule it in a future council meeting. That way the public has noticed and staff has time to prepare and, and we can um, have a, a more complete discussion. If I can ask the acting city manager, um, I know that we're going to be taking action. I think we're going to have a special meeting on, um, on well, we're going to have a discussion about BART um, and the minimum project requirements and community benefits. And then I know that we're going to also be at some point in March voting on the new memorandum of agreement with BART. So um, I guess I'd like to get your advice. Um, I guess, should we also refer this to the agenda committee for future scheduling or if, I don't know if staff have a particular date that they have in mind at this point? I think, yeah, I think it makes sense, Mr. Mayor, to refer to the agenda and rules committee and we can think a little bit between now and then about what makes the most sense time-wise to bring it back. Okay, so with respect to item 17, the information report entitled city policies for managing parking around BART stations, is there any objection to moving that to the consent calendar and referring that to the agenda committee for future scheduling. Um, by this being on the information calendar, we have satisfied a requirement per the MOA um, to bring this before the council. Um, but I also agree that that would be beneficial. I know the, Emory, the El Cerrito Berkeley corridor access study, that that work is also underway. And maybe perhaps it might be beneficial for BART to maybe update us on that too because that's certainly tangential to this broader conversation around access to both these BART stations. So once again, council members, is there any objection to moving item, item 17 to the consent calendar to refer to the agenda rules committee for future scheduling? 
Okay, hearing no objection over the action. Thank you. Councilor Hahn, is that all? Um, that is all on consent or information. Thank you. Thank you. We'll go next to Councilmember Drosty. Thank you very much. I, and I apologize, my camera was off. I was trying to both eat dinner and <laughs> and uh, and get it all done. So I'm finished now. Thank you. Um, I have a question about um, item number 11, and I just want to That's on um, action calendar, Councilmember. Oh, did I? Okay, thank yeah, you so we much. To, we have to conduct a public hearing, so it needs to stay on action. It's a oh, pretty I'm short so consent calendar. I think there's I'm only so sorry. I thought I had to, I think I did the same thing that Councilmember Hunt did. Thank you so, thank you so much. I apologize. Okay. Um, I think we only have 10 items, nine items rather, on the uh, consent calendar tonight. Um, are there any city councilmen that have any further comments on the consent calendar? If not, we'll take public comment now on the consent calendar. And once again, we moved um, information calendar report number 16, the climate action plan and resilience update and 17, city policies for managing parking around the BART stations to the consent calendar to be scheduled for a future meeting. So if you'd like to speak to either item 16 or 17, now would be the appropriate time. So once again, is there any public comment on the consent calendar? So please raise your hand. Seeing no raised hands, I'll bring it back to the city council and I'll move the consent calendar as amended. Second. Second. Okay, any further discussion? If not, I'll ask the city clerk to please call the roll. Council member Kesserwani? Yes. Kaplan? Yes. Bartlett? It, uh, yes, but Mayor, I had one comment actually. Sorry, I didn't see my hand. Uh, Why don't we take the comment after the vote, unless okay. unless it affects your vote in any way, material way? No, it it, it doesn't. Okay, I'll, I'll recognize you after the vote. Uh, the roll call. Bartlett voting. Yes. Yes. Harrison. Yes. Right. On. Yes. Wengraff. Yes. Robinson. Yes. Rosti. Yes. And Mayor Ari. Yes. Okay. Motion. Motion carries unanimously. Uh, Councilor Bartlett. Uh, I, I made a mistake actually. I thought that there was uh, not room on the net metering item, but there was. So disregard oh. what I said. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So that completes the consent calendar. We'll now proceed to the action calendar. And the first item is item 10, the renewal of the Solano Avenue bid for calendar year 2023. We're joined this evening by Eleanor Hollander, the manager of economic development. I understand staff is available for questions, but there will not be a presentation. So um, I'll let me open the public hearing and then I'll go to you, Councilor Han, thereafter. So now I'd like to open the public hearing at item 10, the renewal of the Solano Avenue bid for calendar year 2023. Is there any um, attendee that wishes to speak on item? 10, the renewal of the Solano Avenue bid. So please raise your hand at this time. I see we have one raised hand, Todd Andrew. You should now be able to speak. Hi, Mr. Mayor and Council. Thank you so much. Hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. Just wanted to say uh, there are good things happening on the Solano bid. I'm uh, the chair right now by virtue of a resignation, but I'm speaking on my own behalf. 
Um, we are proceeding on enhanced, I will call it cooperation with the Solano Avenue Association. When I first joined the board, um, I don't think the Solano Avenue Association was present for our first three or four meetings. And now they're present year round, not just the holidays when all the garlands and decorations go in. Um, we've considered lights for the avenue, uh, being somewhat jealous of Fourth Avenue. Um, and we ran into some logistical difficulties, including electrical supply. Uh, we are recruiting board members. Uh, so if you know anybody, I think I've sent an email to you months ago. Um, we have two candidates now in the retail and um, uh, a restaurant side that we uh, sorely need. Right now, there's just me from real estate and a representative from Mechanics Bank. Uh, so we sorely need uh, retail and um, and uh, restaurant representatives. We have two who are interested in serving. I will need to check up with the city clerk to find out what is the uh, status of their paperwork, but um, we'll be probably reaching out to you for appointments uh, once their paperwork is complete. Um, what else is going on? We have uh, holiday decorations up. We're finally spending money that the merchants have paid <laughs> to their benefit. We accumulated a huge balance over a period of time. And uh, we are finally putting the money to use to the benefit of the merchants and uh, visitors to the avenue to improve everybody's experience. So I'd be happy to answer any questions you might have. Uh, and thanks so much. Have a good night. Thank you very much. Are there any other attendees that wish to speak on item 10, the renewal of the Solano Avenue bid for calendar year 2023? If so, please raise your hand at this time. Seeing no additional raised hands, I'll move to close the public hearing. Is there a second? Second. Uh, roll call, please. Councilmember Kessarwani? Yes. Kaplan? Yes. Bartlett? Yes. Harrison? Yes. On? Yes. Lengrath? Yes. Robinson? Yes. Drosty? Yes. And Mayor Aragine? Yes. The public hearing is now closed. Thank you. Councilmember Hahn? Yes, I just wanted to thank the um, remaining bid members and Todd Andrew. Uh, for their work on behalf of the bid. And in particular, I also wanted to thank our economic development department, Eleanor Hollander, who has been working with the Solano Avenue bid for a long time. And I also wanted to further encourage my colleagues to uh, go ahead and find and appoint members. I think we are having a similar problem with a number of our bids. Yeah. Our businesses are, are overwhelmed and very focused on uh, their own internal business needs. And we are having trouble recruiting people to the bid board. Um, I didn't realize there were two people who were available to be appointed. I will reach out to Mr. Andrew and get those names. And um, let's see, Ground Act issue, if you, actually I think what would be better is if you would like to appoint someone because you have a vacancy, if you can reach out to him directly. Otherwise, if I communicate it to you, I'll be breaking the Brown Act. So please reach out to Mr. Andrew if um, uh, if you have an opening and are able to appoint one of these folks that they've recruited. And uh, again, just my gratitude and I'm happy to move the item. Is there a second to approve the staff recommendation on item 10? Second. Second. Okay, thank you. I have a question. I read the report. Um, 
uh, I don't know if Ms. Hollander is here, maybe Councillor Hahn can address this. So um, about a year ago, as part of the budget, we allocated money to initiate a study of the um, feature of Solano Avenue to try to align um, uh, placemaking, landscaping, traffic safety improvements uh, in coordination with what Albany was doing on the lower half of Solano. And I know that in the annual report, one of the initiatives that they had addressed, uh, and I see, oh, I thought I saw a raised hand. Um, one of the initiatives, oh, there's Eleanor, um, that they had addressed was working with the city on that planning process. So I'm curious what this, I mean, it's great, all the work around landscaping, the baskets, the lighting, the beautification, but, I, but I'm curious as to where things are at with the bigger sort of process to re-envision the future of Solano. I'm gonna, yes, uh, Ms. Hollander. Hi, I didn't know if you wanted to answer for that at this moment, yeah, that, but I'm happy to great. provide I, a fast update if that would be helpful. I would I would greatly appreciate it. It's, okay. it's very relevant to the work the bid is gonna be doing in the next year. You got it. Um, As you recall, this was uh, funded uh, in pre-pandemic times. It was put on hold during the pandemic and it was rebooted um, this fiscal year. We've had a, been um, really enjoyed having a graduate student intern who's put a lot of effort into gathering some more information, um, sort of retailing the RFP. We have an updated sort of economic conditions memo that I've just seen the first draft of today uh, on Solano that updates our 2017 sort of picture of the avenue that will be released um, as, a, as a memo. Um, we can do it as an off agenda if the whole council would like to see it, if that would be useful. And I'm seeing some nods, so we'll do it that way rather than just the direct communication. And um, that will inform our RFP process uh, and that intent is to release the RFP in the new year. Excellent. Um, so I think, I hope that's a quick, quick update. And we're Excellent. certainly looking forward to the bid and the contrib contributions of the whole entire community to continue to inform that. Um, you're welcome to email our office at oedmailbox at cityofberkeley.info with any thoughts on the matter. Excellent. Thanks. Thank you so much for the update. And we'll really look forward to that process and appreciate you helping lead so many important initiatives for the city. Thank you. Okay, so we, unless there's any further discussion, we have a motion to approve the staff recommendation on item 10. I don't see any additional raised hands from the council, so roll call, please. Councilmember Kesterwani? Yes. Kaplan? Yes. Bartlett? Yes. Harrison? Yes. Hahn? Yes. Langrath? Yes. Robinson? Yes. Drosty? Yes. And Mayor Ari? Yes. Okay, motion carries. Okay, the motion carries unanimously. Thank you very much. So we'll now proceed to item 11. This, These are amendments to the side ordinance to clarify procedures and establish a coordinated sign design program and establishing a new fee schedule for coordinated sign design programs. This is a public hearing, and I understand staff will be uh, making a short presentation, and then I will go to Councillor Drosty, I understand that's a uh, question. So um, who will be presenting on this item? I will be. Okay, thank you. We'll turn over to you. Thank you very much. Quickly share the screen. All right. Oh, good evening, council members. My name is Robert Rivera. I'm a senior planner with the Land Use and Planning Division. 
Tonight, Council will consider an addition to Title 20 to establish a coordinated sign program and amendments to Title 20 and 23 to clarify design review procedures for signs. Before I speak about the background of the referral, I'd like to describe the existing procedures for all awnings and signs in Berkeley. Here's the chapter referencing the BMC, which requires all awnings and signs in commercial or industrial zoning districts obtain design review approval prior to obtaining a building permit. This includes replacements of prior approved signs of the same size, location, and design. Mm. An applicant would submit a complete application for design review, and staff may make design review recommendations, and the applicant would revise their application and plans based on those recommendations. After review is complete, staff would write a notice of decision announcing the approval of the proposed awning or sign, and after approval of design review, an applicant would apply for a building permit and an inspector would review the proposed awning or sign plans for compliance with the sign ordinance. And then once approved, the building permit can be issued and the sign or awning can be installed. The minimum processing time is between six to 10 weeks, depending on staff workload plus processing time for the building permit. Through surveys and interviews with local businesses, the Office of Economic Development identified the permit process I described as an opportunity where staff could expedite services for existing businesses and reduce the barriers to entry for new businesses. On October 15, 2019, the city council referred to the city manager a recommendation to clarify the permit process for signs and establish a coordinated sign design program to provide clarity to new business owners and sign companies. On November 2019, staff uh, presented to the Design Review Committee proposed amendments to Title 20 and 23 to establish a coordinated sign design program and ease permit requirements for signs. The DRC provided staff with comments and continued their discussion, and staff returned in February of 2020 with additional recommendations and amendments. The DRC asked staff to clarify standards for awnings and signs, <clears throat> and as a result, staff has clarified the use of downtown design guidelines citywide for signs and awnings and updated application materials to include those design guidelines. On April, 2021, staff presented to the Planning Commission where they discussed the proposed amendments and recommended minor modifications to improve readability. The Planning Commission voted unanimously to recommend City Council adopt staff's recommendation. The first of staff's proposed amendment, amendments establishes a coordinated sign design program. Buildings with multiple tenants, street fronts with multiple businesses and projects with multiple signs are eligible. Applicants would initiate the process by submitting an application and paying the associated fees. The application would be reviewed by the design review committee. And with an approved sign program, the applicant can move forward with the building permit process. Any new signs conforming to the pre-approved program uh, could proceed to applying for a building permit if the building official deems it necessary when a, with an approved zoning certificate. The process would provide a pathway for developing pre-approved sign templates that meet city design standards for projects with multiple signs and provides clarity and certainty for business owners and sign companies. The second proposed amendment would exempt replacement signs from obtaining a sign permit and clarify that signs may be refaced, repainted, or replaced with the same location, size, and design. Also, the amendment clarifies that signs pursuant to an approved coordinated sign design program 
may be installed and replaced without design review and shall be approved with a zoning certificate subject to review by the building official for signs that would require a building permit. Uh, the third amendment, the proposed amendment, are minor amendments needed to maintain consistency between both sections and would implement the previous amendment, allowing signs to be refaced, repainted, and replaced with the same location, size, and design, and would allow signs pursuant to a coordinated sign design program. Staff recommends that City Council hold a public hearing, adopt the first reading of the zoning ordinance amendments to clarify design review procedures for signs, establish an optional coordinated sign design program, and amend Title 23 to provide internal consistency with Title 20 and adopt a resolution amending the land use planning fee schedule to add a new coordinated sign design program fee. This concludes that presentation. Thank you very much. Uh, we'll now uh, recognize Councilor Drossen. Well, thank you very much. This is very exciting and I wanna uh, commend uh, Mayor Erigin and Councilmember Hahn. I think this is from the 2019 small business package. Um, and so I know there were a number of items in that particular referral, and this is thrilling. You know, I know there are these little things that um, mean a lot to uh, small businesses throughout Berkeley, and there were a series of recommendations in that small business package. And I'm, I actually, this sort of jogged my memory, and I'm wondering how many of those um, items are, are still left and when they'll be coming to uh, back to council. Sounds like a Jordan Klein question. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's an Eleanor or a Jordan question, or um, or if we have a sense of when when um, the rest of those items will come to us because this is so exciting, and I know um, many of the businesses, at least in in um, my district, have expressed great excitement about them. And so I just want to thank all of you for all the work you've been doing, and I'm eagerly awaiting uh, when the the rest will come as well. Thank you. There are a number of pending. Jordan, I think your information is uh, poor. Uh, maybe turn off your um, video. Yeah. Uh, is this better? Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll switch to my phone <laughs> after this. I'm having internet, uh, wonky internet issues. Um, uh, so there are a number of of outstanding referrals to the city manager to amend the zoning ordinance to uh, support small businesses. Um, unfortunately, I don't have a specific timeline for you right now. Our policy team has been focused on major initiatives such as the, uh, the housing element, uh, middle housing zoning, uh, comprehensive update to affordable housing regulations, um, uh, BART TOD projects, um, and a couple of others. Um, but I am going to be meeting with the policy team soon to chart out um, the work plan for 2023. Um, and I, I, we, the, uh, part of the 20, the FY20 budget, the, the city council did fund an additional new position for the policy team and happy to report the staff members coming on board uh, first day is January 3rd. <laughs> so we will have some added capacity for the policy team. And so we're going to be, I'm going to be working with the team to chart out um, 
the the calendar and you consider pending items for small businesses in the context of the other rank referrals from uh i think we lost jordan but what i gathered he said is that and there were some items i think we did vote on i think around like amusement arc arcades i think you um uh robert gave that presentation to council it was a really great one where you had all the graphics about pinball and you know uh, amusement arcades um one of the best powerpoints i've seen uh, <laughs> from city staff so there are some things that have moved forward but there are several things that have not and so um, maybe we can maybe the city manager's office can provide an update an off agenda memo or by email um some of the stuff i thought they were going to also do through zorp 2 um if i'm not mistaken so um yeah. yeah, I was mainly I was mainly um, interested in um, the food and alcohol. I think there was some related to the food and alcohol service, and um, and and that's just I, I'm just um, I know that's a, a hot topic, and um, you know I look forward to um, well, I guess I look forward to you all getting that update. So, <laughs> well, be sure to forward it to you. Okay, thank you, Councilmember Taplin. Uh, thank you. Uh, I also wanted to thank staff, the mayor, and Council for Han uh, on behalf of the small businesses in my district as well. Uh, so thank you. That's all. Thank you. Okay, so I'm now going to open the public hearing on item 11, the referral response amendments to the sign ordinance to clarify procedures and establish a coordinated sign design program, establishing a new fee for coordinated sign design programs. Is there any attendee that wishes to speak on that item? If so, please raise your hand at this time. Okay, we'll go to our first speaker, Makai Freeman, and we'll provide additional time to Makai. Good afternoon, council members. Uh, I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving, appreciation holiday. My only comment is that when this item is brought forth again, if the fee schedule can be delineated and now outlined and uh, I know you'll be hiring and equity um an equity equity person within the city so if you also could in that C structure have equity lens for new businesses that are minority businesses in terms of the C structure. So that's it. Thank you. Thank you. We'll go next to Kelly Hammergren and ask are there any other speakers after Ms. Hammergren on the side. Um, hello. So I understand, is there an echo or is it this okay? We can hear you fine. Okay. All right. Um, so if I understand this correctly, there's going to be more um, regulation with this sign signage. Um, so far, I'm I'm disappointed that there is nothing on artificial light at night and uh, light pollution. We don't often think about night light pollution and the harmful impact on us uh, humans and also on wildlife. And so the recommendation is that we have as little night light as is needed, uh, that night light is turned off when it is no longer needed. So after 
a business is closed and the sign would, any night lighting would be um, turned off, um, that there should be no up lighting on signs and that lighting is in the warm tones as those are the least harmful to wildlife and to us. I mean, anyone that spends a lot of time on the computer is um, probably considering blue light blocking glasses. I mean, that's um, to save our eyes and to uh, better for our health. Uh, the cool blue light is also uh, bad for animals and insects. Um, so I hope that those kind of things can be added and considered in the future that we really um, look at our night light as light pollution that we need to do something about and that we have um, well-designed signs that take those um, aspects into consideration. And that would be better for all of us. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Makai Freeman, I... Uh... See, you've raised your hand again to speak on this item. We appreciate your comments. Are you, did you raise your hand to speak on the sign um, ordinance amendments or another agenda item? Okay. Um, I don't see any raised hands now to speak on item 11. So I'll now move to close the public hearing on item 11. Is there a second? Sorry. Second. Thank you. Uh, roll call, please. Councilmember Kessarwani? Yes. Kaplan? Yes. Bartlett? Yes. Harrison? Yes. On? Yes. Wengraff? Yes. Robinson? Yes. Drosty? Yes. And Mayor Erigin? Yes. Okay. Okay, so the public hearing is now closed. The item is now before us. And I appreciate Councilor Drosty you raising this question. Um, and I, um, I recall that the uh, these amendments were a top rank referral by the city council. Um, I know that some of these things are really important to to our existing businesses, particularly as we're coming out of this pandemic. And so, um, I'm really glad that we had the additional staff person. I know OED's leaned in and done a lot of work to help support moving some of these referrals forward. Um, but I think, given the kind of the state of our economy, uh, these things are are pretty important to help streamline the process, to help support our local businesses, to attract new businesses to Berkeley. So I think it's really important for our, our economic vitality um, in this sort of pandemic, post-pandemic world. Um, and uh, appreciate you know the consideration by staff and trying to move some of these things forward. Um, so I appreciate you bringing this up. Um, I just want to just call attention to the fact that this was a priority that was ranked in our RV process and just really want to lift up to the planning commission and to the planning staff the importance of, of prioritizing these these low these low-hanging fruit. And I, my recollection is that these things came out of our consultation of our small businesses. This is when Mr. Klein was the director of OED. And um we did, we had um large sort of we met with business stakeholders. We met with the the um, the bids, the business associations. We had meetings with small businesses, and there were several things that came out of those conversations that businesses had identified as changes, permitting changes that could really help streamline the process. So, 
I just want to call attention to that. Councilor Han. Thank you. Well, I'm mostly repeating things that you already said, Mayor. Uh, I really, and Council Member Drosty, I really just want to thank both our Office of Economic Development and planning staff um, for their diligent work on these many referrals that started, I think, with, with a referral the mayor and I did in 2017, a small business support package. They diligently went through those referrals. That set of referrals led to the further consultation, which then uh, unearthed additional issues that our small businesses wanted us to address as a city. And I just want to say that I think the reason why these uh, concerns have been moved forward so effectively, not, not only because they've been ranked highly by the council, but because our staff has been very dedicated to them. And that goes for Mr. Klein, who was previously our economic development director, and at the time really took these referrals to heart and uh, really did, did very thorough and diligent work to lift up our small business community. And then to Eleanor Hollander, who now is in that position, and then he's carried over that commitment in his work with the planning department. So I think staff has also really effectively done their work with our business community during the pandemic that was amplified by a thousand percent uh, I can't remember, we added 20 or 30 people to support the Office of Economic Development with the flood of requests for service and help and support that came from our business community, and they, they did a just amazing job. So I'm just shouting out here, thanking staff for sticking with this work. It's really important and much appreciated. Thank you. With that, I'd like to move adoption of the staff recommendation for item 11. Second. Second. Seconded by Councilmember Wengraff. Thank you. Colleagues, any further comments or questions on this item? Okay. Okay. If not, I'd like to ask the city clerk to please call the roll of the motion to approve the staff recommendation. Councilmember Kesarwani? Yes. Kaplan? Yes. Bartlett? Yes. Harrison? Yes. On? Yes. Wengraff? Yes. Robinson? Yes. Drosty? Yes. And Mayor Arrigan. Yes. Okay. Okay, the motion, car motion carries. Thank you very much. We'll now proceed to item 12. This is a public hearing on the adoption of the Berkeley Building Codes, including local amendments to the California Building Standards Code. And I'd like to ask uh, our director of the planning department, Jordan Klein, or building official, Alex Rochal, um, if they have any uh, introductory comments on the setup. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. I just want to appreciate Alex. Also, um, Kurt Hurley, our relatively new green building program manager, David Lopez, the assistant building uh, and safety official, Sarah Moore in the Office of Energy and Sustain Sustainable Development, also Billy Romaine, and, and all the other staff. I know I left some folks out who did fantastic work um, maintaining our, our cutting edge green building standards and expanding on them um, while uh, you know, bringing our local code uh, up to date for this latest uh, cycle. Um, we're, we have a brief presentation if you'd like it. We're also just available to answer questions if you have any. Um, 
why don't we um, discuss first ask, are there any questions from members of the city council on this item before we open the public hearing? Uh, yeah, I'll go first to Councilmember Weingraf. Uh, thank you, and and thank you to uh, everybody uh, who worked on this. Um, I have one question, and that's relating related to the installation of gas shutoff valves when any plumbing work is done. I, I need a little more clarification on that because there didn't seem to be a financial trigger. It's just any plumbing permit will trigger the requirement that people install a shutoff valve. Is that is that the correct interpretation? I see Alex turned on his camera, but... Um... Um, yeah, that's a correct interpretation. Um, there used to be a valuation trigger and uh, we had a number of uh, meetings and discussions with the Fire and Disaster Safety Commission. And uh, uh, so we have, when we have projects like rear roofs, window replacements, um, um, similar types of remodeling projects, which do not involve mechanical or plumbing systems, and there is no mechanical or plumbing contractor, and yet there is a requirement to install a gas shutoff valve. Uh, those types of projects were triggering some uh, uh, kind of heartburn with uh, property owners and uh, often uh, the contractor would be done with the project off the roof, the windows are done, the contractor is gone and the permit remains open because you know, the gas shutoff valves have not been installed. Uh, so following those discussions, we decided that a better uh, path for compliance, which will result in a much higher uh, compliance rate and more uh, shutoff valves installed in Berkeley would be any type of project which requires, which requires issuance of a mechanical or plumbing permit. Because now you have a plumber on site. Now you have a mechanical contract. No, so is it, I mean, plumbing, is it like bathroom plumbing? Or is it specific to gas line plumbing? No, it's plumbing. Plumbing is plumbing. Mechanical is mechanical. Both plumbing and mechanical codes include gas. So if you are um, installing a new, a, a new sink or something, then well, again, a sink replacement often does not require a plumbing permit, but plumbing for a new sink would require would require a plumbing permit and would require hiring a plumber and installing a gas shutoff valve. Okay, and um, it used to be, I'm not sure it's currently the case, but it used to be that the cost of the permit for installing a shutoff valve was actually more than the valve itself. Uh, the valve itself can be obtained for you know less than a hundred dollars. Oh, exactly. That's that's the logic. So you have a roofing permit which triggers a gas shutoff valve. Now you need to pull a, a plumbing permit and pay for that permit. When you have a, a plumber uh, uh, installing a water line and and an event for a sink, we issue a plumbing permit. A gas shutoff valve will then be issued under the same permit without any additional costs. Okay, so it'll be incorporated in that. It will be incorporated into the permit. Okay. It's going to be a mini, under the minimum permit okay. fee. It will be zero cost of property owners. Just Great. Cost of the installation. Okay. Thank that's you very the, much for that clarification. Yeah, that's the logic. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any other questions at this time from the City Council on this item? 
Okay, I don't see any raised hands. So if not, I'd like to now open the public hearing on item 12, the adoption of the Berkeley Building Codes, including local amendments to the California Building Standards Code. If any attendee would like to speak on this item, please raise your hand at this time or press star nine if you're phoning into our meeting. Okay, we'll go to our first uh, raised hand, Bryce Nesbitt. Hello, this is Bryce Nesbitt, and you should know I do ADU legalization effort. Uh, and just for Susan, know that the cheapest time to install a gas valve is when you already have a plumber on site. So the staff's plan makes complete sense. It'll get much closer to the cost of the valve rather than having to send somebody out specially for that job. Regarding the plan, um, in general, it's very easy to read and very nice. I find it unfortunate that it has codified the seven foot six high and seven foot high uh, height limits. So this is a big issue with older housing stock. There are lots of places and lots of rooms that don't quite meet that. And it becomes a really sticky issue. And I think this is an area where Berkeley can increase housing supply and bring more units into the legalization project process by creating lower limits. There are plenty of shorter places that people are perfectly happy to rent, yet don't meet those uh, standards, which are being yet again codified here. Regarding green infrastructure, um, this is a good plan. Again, it's moving forward, but it's missing out on air sealing. There are currently no building inspection steps that check to see if a builder has made a house tight against air leaks and makes a huge difference. And I think that's an opportunity to strengthen and tighten this plan. And thank you, that's it for now. I'll have some additional comments about enforcement when we get to the next item. Thank you. We'll go next to Kelly Hammergren, and Kelly should now be able to speak. Um, thank you, and I believe Bryce disag will disagree with my comment, um, but I believe that this started out with sprinkler systems in it in the high fire zones, and since we are making alterations to our evacuation routes in the city, the um, putting our many of our emergency access and evacuation routes. There's five now that are being put on road diets. Um, it seems like we ought to be thinking about sprinklers and housing in, in the high fire zones. So that's it, thank you. Thank you. Um, are there any other attendees that would like to speak on item 12, the adoption of the Berkeley Building Codes? So please raise your hand. Okay, see, we have one additional speaker, uh, Margo Smith. Margo, I saw your hand up. Um, Margo, would you like to speak on the adoption of the building codes? Yes, I think the building codes need to take into account the uh, uh, fire, hazard fire districts in the hills and uh, especially the evacuation routes. And our, if, if there's any new building up there, it should be uh, you should be considering how it will impact the fire evacuation routes in those areas. As right now, you have a lot of uh, things obstructing uh, uh, fire evacuation routes. And this is, I don't know who's in charge of it for the city to make sure that uh, disaster equipment can get up there and that people can evacuate when there is a fire. I would very much like to know who's in charge of, of that and how it's being um uh, enforced, and if our new building up in that area is taking that into consideration. Thank you. 
Thank you. Are there any other attendees that wish to speak on the public hearing on item 12? If so, please raise your hand. I don't see any additional raised hands, so I will move to close the public hearing. Is there any second? Second. Roll call, please. Councilmember Kesarwani? Yes. Kaplan? Yes. Bartlett? Yes. Harrison? Yes. On? Yes. Glengraff? Yes. Robinson? Yes. Drosty? Yes. And Mayor Arrigan? Yes. Thank you. The public hearing is now closed. The item is before us. And are there any additional questions for staff on the side? Council Member Vice Mayor Harrison. Yeah, I do want to ask about the ceiling height uh, concern that was raised uh, by Mr. Nesbitt. Are we are the ceiling heights that we're uh, requiring consistent with what other cities have? Um, yes, the ceiling heights are consistent with uh, what other cities have. The residential code has been uh, extensively revised at the state at the state level to reduce the ceiling heights from seven foot six to seven and even to six foot eight in certain cases. Uh, we passed a local amendment. I mean, we cannot make uh, ceiling heights uh, uh, any lower because we can be more restrictive than the code, but not less restrictive. In other words, we can go from six foot eight to seven, from seven to six, seven foot six, but not the other way. Uh, so we basically uh, are in compliance with the California residential code for the reduced ceiling heights. We also have an admin provision in the building code allowing the building official to make uh, mm -hmm. local modifications or approve local equivalencies when dealing with the uh, residential buildings, especially when dealing with uh, unpermitted dwelling units or when legalizing dwelling units where we can, uh, under certain conditions, accept lower ceiling heights. Thank you very much for that. I appreciate it. Yeah. Are there any additional questions on the side or comments? If not, I'll move adoption of the staff recommendation for item 12. Second. Second. Uh, any further discussion of the motion? If not, I'd like to ask the city clerk to please call the roll. Councilmember Pesarwani. Why don't we come back to Councilmember Kesterwani? Kaplan? Yes. Bartlett? Yes. Person? Yes. On? Yes. Wengraff? Yes. Robinson? Yes. Drosty? Yes. Mayor Aragin? Yes. And uh, Councilmember uh, Kesarwani to uh, on the uh, building codes? Yes. Yes. Okay, motion carries. Okay, the motion carries. The second reading is approved. Thank you, staff, for your work. Okay, we'll now proceed to our last public hearing which is item 13, the reenactment of the Berkeley Housing Code. And um, this is a consideration of a second reading of amendments to the Berkeley Housing Code. And I'd like to ask Mr. Klein or Mr. Rashal if you have any um, opening comments on the setup. I wanna again um, commend the work of staff on this. this. This housing code is really quite an achievement. It's a dramatic improvement over our previous local code. And it represents, um, really incredible work. Um, I really want to appreciate the, and commend the leadership of Mr. Rochelle. This has been uh, a project that he that has been on his list 
for a long time. I'm really glad he got it in under the wire. <laughs> and he, he gets to see this adopted before ahead of his retirement. I, I suspect that many other uh, cities in California are going to look to our local housing code as a model. Um, thank you uh, to Mr. Rochelle. I also want to appreciate uh, David Lopez, Jenny McNulty, Jeff Jensen, uh, Angel Sandayan, and other staff who contributed efforts to, to pulling this together. Uh, we're, we're available to take your questions. Thank you very much, Mr. Shaw. You want to add anything on this item? I think this is the, your last uh, item you'll be presenting to the, the Berkeley City Council. No, it's a, it's a very important step and uh, very few cities understand uh, the, the true meaning of housing codes and how those regulations should be locally adopted. So basically, yeah, this is an effort to uh, take the housing code out of 1990s and bring it into 2022 as well as to incorporate uh, uh, the RHSP provisions uh, into the housing code to address uh, uh, local, uh, well, not just local, statewide building code requirements, uh, which became less restrictive on the housing side, which is still not recognized under the old housing code. Um, so it's, uh, it's a very important effort for the city to have a, a unified uh, kind of that, that, that unified housing code when, uh, when we do the inspections, when we go out and uh, either in response to a request for service or proactive inspections, we used to quote out the building code, electrical code, housing code, state law. Now it's all together, it's all compounded, it's single source, and it will really allow the housing inspectors to reference the code, to interpret the code. It will allow the property owners and the building, uh, the property owners and the tenants to better understand the code and to, to better understand what uh, to expect during the housing inspection. Thank you. Well, I just want to also thank you, Mr. Rashaw, for all your work. And uh, the uh, Rental Housing Safety Department was in the Housing and uh, Community Services Department. And then it was brought over to your um, division in planning. And really just want to thank you for your commitment to um, ensuring um, proactive enforcement of our housing and safety codes to ensure safe housing and building conditions for people in our city. It's extremely important. Um, if we can just take a step back in time, in the early um, 2000s, the rental housing safety program actually came out of very tragic, two tragic situations in which tents died due to carbon monoxide poisoning and other unsafe conditions in their apartments. Um, and so through, through the amendments that are being proposed, one, we'll be able to effectively implement a future amnesty program to bring unpermitted units um, up to code and to bring those units back on the market. And two, we'll be able to advance the work you started to do a proactive cyclical citywide housing inspection program, which is gonna be really important to making sure that all of our units in the city are up to code and people are living in safe um, living conditions. So very grateful that, and also improving the um, enforcement procedures to make it easier for staff to issue notices um, and to take steps to ensure enforcement um, in cases where um, conditions have not been improved. I think this does streamline the enforcement procedures to make it easier for staff to do their important work. So really grateful. I just wanna, before I go to Councilor Hahn, um, just acknowledge something that the hack did reference um, in their recommendation. Um, there was a, um, a recommendation that the city establish a tenant habitability plan policy 
And um, as councilors may know, I actually brought that forward and that will be taken up by the land use committee um, on Thursday. Um, so if you're interested in following that discussion, tune in. Um, uh, if the city were to adopt requirements requiring a tenant habitability plan for major construction or alterations, um, that may end up in the housing code and may, may end up in another um, building code section. Um, and I think that will help overlay on top of the work that staff is doing to, um, to ensure more proactive enforcement of our housing and building codes. So um, while that's not in this proposal, um, that is gonna be advancing through the legislative process and will be coming to the Berkeley City Council at a future point. And I, I think it's extremely important, but it shouldn't prevent us from taking a step tonight to adopt the second reading of the housing code. And I wanna express my commitment to trying to advance the work to establish a tenant habitability plan to strengthen our relocation provisions. So with that, I'd like to go to Councilor Hahn. Well, thank you so much. I just, uh, once again, I, I really can't pass up the opportunity to wish Mr. Roussel the very best in his retirement and just to acknowledge what an incredible sort of oeuvre, a real life work he has given to Berkeley. Um, and the depth of knowledge, the commitment, the attention to detail, the recall, the encyclopedic understanding of very complex codes, um, the deep knowledge and tracking of what goes on at the state level, how that interacts with Berkeley's codes, the interest always in can-do attitude around innovating and just always incredibly constructive and helpful and finding a way through for absolutely everything that I've ever had the pleasure of working with him on. And um, I know we have lots of other great people, but honestly, Mr. Ostell is one of the greats and it's gonna be a big loss for the city. Um, I hope that it means that you are going to be doing something fabulous um, because you will be missed. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, are there any other questions or comments at this time? If not, I'd like to open the public hearing now on item 13, the reenactment of the Berkeley Housing Code. Is there any attendee that wishes to address that item? If so, please raise your hand at this time. Okay, Bryce Stensbitt is our first speaker. You should now be able to speak. Okay, um, well, I, I do this work and I think this is an excellent step forward in terms of clarity and conciseness. It's easy to read, it's easier to understand and that's very important for owners and tenants to both be on the same page. So this is great work. What this doesn't yet do is provide much of a pathway to get from where people are to where this is. And this is the legalization and amnesty issue. And so I encourage council to bring that up. Uh, Susan, you've uh, been championing this issue for quite some time. There's a lot of work yet to be done and a lot of compromise in some cases that's needed in order to bring these completely illegal units into the real world. I'll say that uh, in the units that I've inspected, um, there is a lot of low hanging fruit. Um, the self-inspected units that I go into often don't have working smoke detectors, which is the most basic thing that you could have in the unit. So great work on this ordinance and more work to do into bringing more people into the legal light. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we'll go to our next uh, speaker, Mikai Freeman. Mikai, you should now be able to speak. 
Thank you, and I understand. Uh, thank you for staffing. Those must have been considerably a lot of work. And um, uh, may I really agree with you that there needs to be a half-filled portion, whether in the New Orleans um, or another, because what has occurred to residents of Harriet Tubman um, and their living condition before um, it was made visible was horrendous. So I hope in the next bringing forth of this ordinance, we will have something clear and definitive so that would never happen again to a community of vulnerable seniors, people of color. Thank you. Thank you. I, I completely agree with Ms. Freeman that actually if we had a tenant habitability plan, a lot of the issues that we've been hearing about here in Tubman Terrace could have been mitigated. Um, and that's all the more reason why, you know, having a clear policy prospectively, I think will make a difference. Are there any other attendees that would like to speak on this item? If so, please raise your hand at this time. Okay, I see no additional raised hands, so I will move to close the public hearing. Is there a second? Second. Roll call, please. Councilmember Kesarwani, to close the public hearing. Councilmember Kesarwani, to close the public hearing. Yes. Thank you. Uh, Kaplan? Yes. Bartlett? Yes. Harrison? Yes. On? Yes. Lindgraf? Yes. Robinson? Yes. Drosty? Yes. And Mayor Aragin? Yes. Okay. Okay, the public hearing is now closed. I'll move adoption of the staff recommendation for item 13, the option of a second reading of ordinance 7840 um, to repeal and reenact cha uh, chapter 1940, the Berkeley Housing Code. Second. Okay, is there any further discussion on the motion? If so, please raise your hand. Seeing none, uh, I'd like to ask the city clerk to please call the roll. Councilmember Kesarwani? Yes. Kaplan? Councilmember Kaplan to approve the item. Don't see him. Come back. Uh, Bartlett? Yes. Harrison? Yes. On? Yes. Wengraf? Yes. Robinson? Yes. Rossi? Yes. Mayor Aragin? Yes. Uh, and Councilmember Taflin, I don't see him on the. I don't see him on the Zoom. Okay. Right. Absent. For hopefully, he'll be rejoining us. Absent for this vote. Uh, but motion carries. Motion carries. The second reading is, is adopted. Thank you. Okay. So let's now proceed to the next agenda item, item 14. I'd like to just provide a few opening comments and I'll turn the floor over to the city manager's office and city clerk. Um, so first I want to announce that um, this is our last meeting, um, uh, regular city council meeting uh, that we will be conducting exclusively through um, video conference. Starting our next meeting on December 6th, we will be conducting our city council meetings in a hybrid format. And, um, 
uh, that will allow council members to participate in person or virtually, as well as members of the public. And we know that on February 28th, 2023, the governor announced that he will be ending a statewide emergency declaration for COVID-19, which means that the um, provisions of the Brown Act um, that require that um, uh, uh, in order for members of the legislative body to participate remotely, that they have to post their location and enable public access, those provisions will be um, back in effect. Um, and so uh, uh, essentially it means that members of legislative bodies will have to participate in person or they can participate through teleconference or video conference at a location with uh, the posted location and enabling public, public access to that location. Um, so we will be going back to the way that things were before the COVID-19 pandemic. We have conducted several hybrid meetings over the past uh, year that um, I wanna commend the city clerk um, for their really exceptional work in making those meetings and Berkeley Unified School District making those meetings run effectively. Um, and so the Agenda and Rules Committee, um, which consists of myself, Councilmember Wangraf and Councilmember Hahn, we've been discussing um, over the past several weeks, um, the protocols to um, implement for our hybrid meetings to ensure that these meetings are conducted safe, safely and effectively. And so I wanted to bring this for the councils, the council can provide their input on these protocols um, as a full council before we move ahead with resuming hybrid meetings. Um, and um, uh, I know our public health officer, I believe is present as well as the director of health housing and community services. Um, and I'm sure they'll be available to answer questions as well. So with that, I wanna turn the floor over to our city clerk, Mark Newmanville and city manager's office to present on the side. Go ahead, um, City Clerk. I'll, I'll just follow up and say that Mayor, you really you framed the issues very well. The the um, the hybrid procedures that you all have come up with in consultation with staff, including the health officer and department of director, are before you, and it's an opportunity to um, have us answer any questions, have the health officer weigh in if you'd like, um, and, and then land on how you'd like to move forward with it. I don't know, Mr. Newmanville, if you have any uh, thing you'd like to add. I, the mayor summarized it um, very well, just uh, in the item, uh, in the agenda packet, uh, we have the uh, the public health protocols that we used for the last um, series of hybrid meetings in, in May of this year. Um, that's attachment one. Um, attachment two, is a red line uh, of those May 2022 uh, hybrid meeting uh, policies. Uh, and the redlining is a result of uh, my conversations with um, Dr. Hernandez, the city's public health officer, um, so that you can see sort of the updated uh, recommendations, uh, primarily in the areas of the um, vaccination status, uh, face coverings, uh, and, and physical distancing. Um, and those, um, those are the, the three areas of the, the, the hybrid meeting policies, um, that we would be seeking the, the council's input on, 
so that we could finalize those in advance of the meeting next Tuesday and be ready to, you know, implement all, um, you know, sort of the signage and, and, and the protocols that we need to, to have uh, uh, the council's desired public health protocols in place for that hybrid meeting on uh, December 6th. So again, attachment to in the packet is the, is the red line version that reflects the most current guidance um, from, from the public health officer. Okay, thank you. Um, I'd like to open it up and just sort of give my thoughts. I, I do support the revised uh, protocols uh, summarized in attachment two on page 242 of the packet um, with a couple of um, changes. One, um, I do think that physical distancing of the dais should be implemented. Um, and the city clerk has asked city council members to let, let the city clerk know if they will be attending in person. And that will enable the city clerk staff to set up the seating so that seating is physically distanced. I think we should we should require physical distancing. Um, uh, and then uh, I do think for now that we should continue to follow the practice of requiring that members wear face and members of the public wear face coverings. Um, but I would like to ask our staff to research uh, what other city council's legislative bodies are doing around face coverings um, and to bring that information back to us early, you know, maybe January, February, so that when we go into making decisions about the permanent procedures, that we have that information around what other bodies are doing. But for now, we continue with the masking requirements, which also do mean that when you speak, you can take your mask off if you would like to, although you are encouraged to wear your mask. Um, but I, I think it would be beneficial to get some information about what are other city councils doing, board of supervisors, regional agencies, because I've had conversations with mayors, supervisors, my colleagues in regional bodies, and people are doing very different things. And then also what is best public health practice too. So I think we're gonna have to consider all those factors when we make decisions about what to do when we come back in 2023, um, but for now, especially with potential surge of cases, requiring that we wear face coverings is, is appropriate, but I think we would benefit from that information. So th those would be the two modifications or guidance I would provide, but frankly, I think all the other um, procedures are appropriate given um, uh, good public health practices. And um, that does in include encouraging members of the council to take a free or, or take a rapid test before you attend in person. And I think staff said they could provide rapid tests if you need one. Um, and I just think that's good practice um, for us if we're gonna be in, a, in an indoor setting for an extended period of time. And once again, you know, at least until February, late February, members of the council can attend virtually or they can attend in person, it's optional, depending on people, you know, whether people feel comfortable attending if they're sick or alternatively, um, if they're unable to attend in person, they can they can participate virtually. So those are kind of my thoughts, um, having thought about this further. And I appreciate the input of Councilmember Wangraf and Han, particularly at the agenda committee on this. I think we're trying to strike a balance to um, be respectful of, um, well, 
to, to implement good public health practices and to create an environment where everyone feels safe to participate, the, the elected officials, staff, and the public. So, um, and I hope people can um, to the extent possible. Um, I do miss seeing everyone in person. Um, it would be nice to see people, more people in person to the extent possible. Um, so let's open it up for discussion. Um, I think this is really intended to provide feedback to staff on these protocols. Councilmember Robinson. I miss you too. I appreciate the red line version very much uh, support this direction. I just had one, I think very logistical and simple operational question for the city clerk. If we do have uh, more than a majority of the council physically present on the dais, how, uh, how will we accomplish physical distancing with uh, I'm having trouble imagining the spacing of that and how we'll make that work. Uh, yes, we probably have to get uh, a little bit creative Creative with that. Uh, one of the ideas that was mentioned at Agenda and Rules Committee was uh, perhaps having um, two or three council members um, at uh, tables in the um, well area in front of the dais. Um, as as you know, there are there's a limited number of seating positions on the dais. So mm -hmm. um, if there was, uh, you know, more than five council members present, we would have to um, find some seating um, at, 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 a, at a different location. I mean, or around the dais, in front of the dais or, you know, so. Gotcha. Yeah, no, certainly agree that it's a, an appropriate and responsible choice. Just uh, curious how we'll actually deliver that and uh, we'll get creative. Sounds good. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, I think our staff are, the, the protocols do require that staff, I think with the exception of like really essential staff, like the clerk staff and city manager and city attorney, that everyone present virtually. So that does free up some space um, for people. Um, and that will be the, that, that will be, be the way we would conduct business even after February. Um, but I think, you know, We've been doing this in a kind of iterative process for the past year. And I imagine we'll just have to evaluate how things go and, and then um, tailor things in the future based on where we're at. Uh, Councilor Han. Oh, I just wanted to note um, in response to that also, Councilmember Robinson, that the city manager had also very generously suggested that she might vacate her seat at the dais to make room for a council member, then we would put her somewhere else. So there was a lot, of, we were thinking maybe the issue wouldn't come up since it's only for a few months, um, that maybe we wouldn't end up having everyone coming and the clerk will know ahead of time. But in the case that everyone was able to come and wanted to come, which would be a wonderful thing, uh, there were a lot of creative ideas. And Jim. Uh, yes, that's correct. Councilmember Weingrup. Following up on your comments, Mr. Mayor, about evaluating things as we move forward, I, I'm just now wondering about how nimble we can be, how resilient we can be um, if things uh, change again. Um, and I don't think we've really sort of dug dug into that and talked about that. 
um, if there is no emergency, if there's no state of emergency, um, we don't really have the ability to go back to virtual, do we? That, that's correct. Not, not in the way that we're doing it now. That's correct. And do we have the ability to do hybrid if there's no state of emergency? No. Yes, we can always do um, the hybrid participation for members of the public. The public, yeah, and staff. And staff, right. But can we do it for council? Well, you, I mean, you could zoom in, but you have to post where you're participating. Okay, where you're so from. go back to the old rules. Yeah. Yeah, you go back to the old rules and then basically post your post it. But but the clerk needs notification of that uh, in order to publish it on the agenda. And what what is the how much time do you need, uh, Mr. Clerk? Uh, you would need it the Thursday before, correct? Uh, well, a, a regular agenda is posted eleven days before the meeting. Um, uh, but we can do a revised agenda as late as 72 hours to, to put a teleconference or video conference location on the agenda. I see. Okay. It's, it seems pretty clunky um, if there's no if there's no state of emergency. You know, I'm, I'm just asking this because I know, for example, there are many city employees right now who have COVID and... Um, uh, it doesn't seem like it's going away anytime soon. Um, it might just be that the end of the emergency is coinciding with a surge. So I want to put us in a good position to be nimble and resilient. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, with respect to the Brown Act, unless the governor continue, you know, continues the state declared emergency, or issue some sort of, or there's a bill that's passed. There have been attempts to pass legislation to amend the Brown Act to provide more flexibility, but those that has not been successful. We're going to have to go back to the old the old rules. Once again, people can participate through video conference or teleconference. You just have to post your physical address where you are where you are, and you have to enable allow a member the members of the public to observe your participation. And. Um, and what about ADA accessibility? Is that an issue as well? Yeah. Well, I mean, when you're, if you, you, you're teleconferencing from your residence, you know, residences aren't required to be ADA accessible. Um, so, okay. but it's not, they, they, the public has the right to attend at that location and also to provide public comment from that location and participate in the meeting from that location. Right, and and my memory is that we can't impose any rules like you have to wear a mask or you have to have proof of vaccination or you know any of that if they choose to come to your to where you are to your remote location. Uh, I think Section Five does address that, right? Right, it says that whatever protocols are in place for, you know, say the the council chambers, those would able to be enforced at any okay, remote great. location because it's an extension of the meeting. Okay, thank you very much. Um, are there other comments, feedback, 
from city, the city council on these uh, protocols. I don't, is it, is an action needed, Mr. Clark? I think this is really intended just to provide feedback for your consideration as we are um, gonna be implementing these protocols. Do you need a motion or is the, is the, are the comments sufficient? I think the, the, the comments uh, are sufficient and just to, to recap, um, I mean, the, the only additional change to the red line version is in um, section four, where instead of distancing is encouraged for the dais, it'll say like distancing will be implemented for the dais. Yeah. And, and otherwise we'll just um, go with the red line version and that's what we'll have in place for December 6th. Yeah, and I, I do wanna just, you know, reiterate my request to look into, you know, what other legislative bodies are doing in California. Well, I'd say the Bay Area, frankly, around um, masking and the public health protocols, because I think that will be instructive to us as we continue to implement this. And as we implement it post late February, when we're back to the old rules. Yes, certainly we can do that research. Thank you. Okay, um, let's now take public comment on this item. Is there any attendee that wishes to address um, item 14? Um, this is entitled a return to in-person city council meetings and the status of meetings of the city's legislative bodies. And I'll just also call attention that this also does address the other um, boards and commissions and council policy committees and um, what the agenda committee had recommended I, with respect to council policy committees is that we continue to meet exclusively through Zoom until the end of the state declared emergency. Um, and I know staff are working to try to um, look at the uh, video conferencing technology capability in our, some of our conference rooms um, to allow the policy committees to be conducted in a hybrid format. And then the um, boards and commissions, city boards and commissions, as noted in the item as well, that they would, they would also go back to the old rules um, under the old Brown Act rules around in-person participation. Um, so I just wanna highlight that, that while we are doing hybrid for city council, um, uh, we would continue to do video conferencing for policy committees and boards and commissions until after, until the state declared emergency expires and we can no longer invoke the authority under assembly bill 361. But staff is looking at what technological capability we have to do hybrid meetings in other city facilities. So with that, I'd like to ask, is there any public comment on this item? If so, please raise your hand. Okay, Kelly Hammergren, you should now be able to speak. Okay, thank you very much. And I believe most of you know that I am a registered nurse licensed. Um, I was called to jury duty um, this week. I was at jury duty yesterday and everyone in the room was required to be masked uh, with nose and mouth covered. Uh, when the judge came to speak to us, uh, the judge uh, had her mask on during the entire time that she was speaking. No one was allowed to remove their masks. We accept you could lift your mask to take a sip of water 
Um, that was the instruction, but anyone who wanted to have anything to eat was required to leave the area. Uh, they could not stay in the room and eat. You had to keep your mask on at all times. Uh, we were uh, seated every other seat. So we were not seated together. Um, COVID's airborne. These meetings go on for hours. It looks like we're gonna get an early night tonight and I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Um, but you're together in the room for hours. So if anyone has COVID in the room and lifts their mask, that's going to be circulating in the room. It's airborne. It's just like if someone was standing in the room smoking a cigarette, eventually everybody in the room can smell it. And that's what happens with COVID. It just, it just circulates. So, you know, my recommendation is, and I know that I don't have the final word, is that everybody just wear a mask. You know, it's kind of nice also not to have a cold. Um, after Thank watching Arizona last night uh, on television, I thought, Maybe do you really want to have in-person meetings, even though we Thank are you. not as insane as people in Arizona? No, I think Berkeley's done a really good job of managing this pandemic. Um, that's not to say there aren't risks. Uh, Makai Freeman, followed by Carol Morosvic. Thank you. Yes, there, there are risks, and we don't live in levels that we can be as statistics possible and um, I'm hearing that you talk about your physicians on the dais but not about the public. How are you going to social distance the public? How are you going to in conditions you know maybe after February when the cookie goes away? How are you going to are you going to have um, private security at commissions and boards of people who refuse to wear masks or maybe exhibiting signs of illness and refusing to leave the premises. So you know, I, I, I understand how it's important to counsel them to have this down for you, but I don't see how you're going to help and give them the information to the public so that they can prepare and be safe. And also for conditioners who, like myself, have unblocked conditions, how do we, um, like I said, have that type of security for when we have to close our locations, not wanting to be at, let's say, um, in public, where are the, the facilities where we can remotely participate and publicize our locations if we do not want to be in our homes for security and other reasons? So I really would like the council, and I know you all want to go back to being public and your social beings but we're still in a pandemic. And this still is killing our residents of Berkeley. And I don't want to see 
um, our residents being exposed and being infected and having very negative outcomes because it's not really being thought through. Thank you. Our next speaker is Carol Morosovic, followed by Kit Saganor. Um, an interesting issue uh, just emerged, which is that if a council member is holding their meeting at a remote location, such as their private residence, uh, they don't have to have disability accommodations. And yet, if commissions meet offsite, um, they do have to make sure the location is accessible, including for subcommittee meetings. Now, of course, this has to be reasonably applied, uh, but I, I'm thinking that there could perhaps be something developed where if someone gives advance notice, um, they would be able to get some form of a disability accommodation within reason uh, when a council member uh, has, so that's not excessively burdensome when a council member is uh, having their meeting remotely. Uh, as to uh, the policy committees, I, I'm glad to hear that that's going to be uh, continued hybrid because it's just allowed so much more public participation. Um, I've under I'm understanding that it is being considered burdensome uh -huh. for for commissions to be uh, in a hybrid fashion that it just can't be done. But it would be good if it could be looked at people who are more susceptible, such as persons with disabilities, if they can be accommodated. And again, it has it has provided such an incredible part, uh, opportunity for participation to be able to go to different commission meetings without having to transport yourself to them and go to policy committee meetings. And it's it's clearly uh, opened up. Uh, the public process, public input process. So if we can somehow work on that and and if the city clerk could work to at least develop uh, accommodations uh, for persons with disabilities to, uh, that are particularly vulnerable during COVID to participate remotely, that would be Thank good. Thank you. Thank you. Kit Saginor followed by Ayana Davis. Kit Saginor, you should now be able to speak. Thank you very much. Like other speakers, I'm uh, pleased that you are taking things uh, slowly in terms of returning to sort of the, uh, a post-COVID way of doing things, since we will never be in a post-COVID world, unfortunately. Um, and I, I, um, I think it is important to be prepared for the questions um, that were raised by Ms. Freeman about enforcement, if people are not following the rules that are needed so that you are prepared for those eventualities, should that be a problem. Um, and of course, it's, I, it, it is really is very important to continue to um, respect the Brown Act. Uh, I've been concerned that subcommittees currently can meet without uh, the public being able to access the subcommittee meetings. I hope that that, 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 that hybrid is, or, or you know, Zoom is fine, but um, the public does need to be able to um, attend a subcommittee meeting. So thank you very much for your work and for taking things one step at a time. And um, again, like uh, like 
Council Member Wengraf, um, I'm I'm hoping that you you know are going to be ready to change things back should there be uh, the kind of serious uh, way that requires um, protection. Thank you so much. Thank you for your comments. Okay, we'll go to Ayana Davis and I'll ask are there any other members of the public that would like to speak on item 14? If so, please raise your hand. Okay, uh, Ms. Davis, you should now be able to speak. Greetings, Council. Thank you for, again, for taking your time to make this happen and understanding that we will not return to things as they have been. I really encourage Council to keep the vulnerable population of our community, our elders, those that may have respiratory um, diseases or challenges into account. Masking is gonna be key to safety for our community, as well as how people are spaced in seating in person. I'm, I've got dualities right between meeting in person and um, working with council in person on the things that are coming up uh, in our community uh, versus keeping myself safe as a young elder in community. We have to be really clear that things are not gonna go back to the way they were per se and guidelines and um, ways of consciously and compassionately enforcing guidelines with community have to be taken into concern and, you know, into play per se and um, making sure that the community is well protected as we move into a hybrid and, you know, in-person and virtual process. And I look forward to it one way or the other. I'll stay on Zoom or see you in, um, in person as we move forward into the next year. I'm complete. Thank you. I don't see any additional raised hands to speak on item 14, so I will now bring it back to the city council for further discussion. Council Member Drosky. Hi, I'm trying, I know this is very complicated and I wanna thank all of you for, for diving into this. Um, I, I'm wondering, you know, specifically about um, the conversations that you all have had around um, when a council member calls in from a remote location. I remember pre-pandemic, you know, putting up a sign if you were in a hotel room and making sure it was available to the public or wherever you were. Um, but in light of the pandemic and perhaps some of the reason why um, council members are elected aren't attending in person is over concern for family members or um, an elderly relative that they might live with. I'm wondering what the conversations have looked like in allowing public access to one's home, if in fact that is where the remote location is, when they may have an immune compromised family member. And perhaps this is a broader issue of the Brown Act that is not Berkeley specific, but um, if you've had any conversations around that and um, and and how uh, electeds or future electeds may address that issue. Um, I mean, I'm going to ask the city clerk or city attorney's office if they can help weigh in on that. Um, 
because part of it's around the Brown Act, part of it's around there's a new state law that allows limited emergency, you know, participation. There's the ADA and how does that interface? Yeah, I mean, and the ADA is is a is a legitimate issue as well for, um, yeah. some, you know, the locations where many of us are are calling in from. Um, I, I guess that's I, perhaps that's where the, um, you know, I, I think I saw, well, reasonable capacity limits. You know, for some, I'm not. I guess that's that's uh, open to interpretation, but. Um, I'm wondering what what the conversations have been around around those particular issues. I'm not aware of any, you know, nuanced exemption in the Brown Act. If you know somebody who's a council member or member of a legislative body who's participating from a remote location, if they have a family member at that location that has you know um, medical needs. That I'm not aware of any exemption that allows you know uh, that that council member to to not have to list their address on the agenda um, or allow public participation from that location. I don't know if Sam has it has anything to add about that. I'm not aware of any exception either um, under the sort of you know original old Brown Act uh, provisions uh, that will come back into play. Um, you know, I guess the from a practical sense, you know, you don't have to make your whole entire home available to the public, right? So, so just where you're uh, broadcasting from. So, so you know, hopefully, uh, you know, council members could take steps to ensure that they maybe they're in the sort of, you know, you know, separate part of their residence or or, or somehow separate from from more vulnerable people. Um, there are limited exceptions, you know, now under AB 2449, um, not, I don't think those exceptions would apply to the scenario Councilor Drosty spoke to, um, but there are exceptions for, you know, a member who has illness um, or, or sort of personal emergencies where you don't have to use the, the old um, provisions, you don't have to allow, uh, you know, provide for public attendance at your residence. Uh, but those are limited and they're not really grounds for a long-term solution to uh, hybrid meetings. And I, I just want to add one thing with, you know, with regards to the concern about the remote location, um, you know, a council member's residence being ADA accessible, you know, uh, the, the primary meeting location is ADA accessible. So if somebody who had uh, ADA needs um, I would advise them to participate from the council chambers and not from a council member's home uh, that's participating remotely. So that that would be, you know, the way to resolve that. Well, that's a relief, especially because I'm calling him from my bedroom right now. So <laughs> that's why I was laughing. I apologize. Okay. Well, I, you know. I just have broader questions. I think about how this law may need to be amended from a from the, in the state, um, and you know, of course, we want broad access and participation. But I think now with the pandemic, it's raised some some larger questions as well about the applicability of this. So, thank you very much. Thank you. I'll just say before we go to Vice Mayor Harrison that um, 
I think we're going to be voting our legislative platform on December 13th and definitely need to make sure that Brown Act reform is in that. I think I thought we had added it before, but we need to reiterate that because there was the Alex Lee bill in 1944, which didn't move forward and um, would have allowed a much more streamlined process. I think the reality is that, you know, the pandemic has, I think, required that we have to change the way that we live and do business. And um, uh, I do think there's benefit in having the people see their government in action, but at the same time, allowing virtual participation has broadened public participation. I serve on regional bodies where people have to travel from San Jose or Solano or, and being able to participate virtually has significantly increased public participation. So I think we have to continue to advocate for reasonable reform because this the Brown Act was written in the late 1950s and it didn't anticipate the world that we're living in now. So, uh, Vice Mayor Harrison. Uh, yeah, you took the words out of my mouth. I think that we no. need to advocate with our legislative delegation for making some changes here, especially, you know, no offense, um, Councillor Harvey, but some of our members don't live in large homes where they can isolate that easily. You know, they live in small apartments and things like that. So the idea that somehow that would work, I think is not going to help. And those are the very people that are concerned about their health or family members' health. I think that is, it's just a really big burden to say, have to make your home available. And I, I don't think, you know, thousands of people are going to troop into our homes, but I can imagine, for example, an anti-vaxxer activist deciding to appear at our homes as a protest. And I am not willing to put up with that. So I really, we're gonna need some help here in making these changes because this can be used against us in almost a, a violent way. And so I'm I'm really looking to the mayor and the city manager's office to help lead us through some discussions with our state delegation on this. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, are there any other questions or comments? I think this is a really good discussion and clearly, I think highlighted the need for more bigger structural changes in the way the law is written and implemented. I think unless there are additional amendments that members of the council would like to propose, I think we'll just continue to operate under the, the guidelines that were in the packet with requiring the physical distancing. That also includes the masking and, um, and then go from there. Thank you, Mayor. We have what we need, and I'll be polling the council members um, tomorrow about uh, in-person participation on December 6th. Okay, thank you. Unless there's any further discussion, no action is needed on this item. So um, it is 8.08. Mark, do we, we should take a caption break now before we go to the last item, because I think the next item is going to be pretty extensive. Okay, so we'll take 10, 15 minutes. Well, it'll be good. Okay, let's take a 10 minute break. We'll be back at 8.19 and we then proceed to our last item, which is the um, Adeline project. So we can.
Okay, we do have a quorum of the City Council now present. So we'll now proceed to our last item on tonight's agenda, which is item 15, the Adeline Street at Ashby Bart Conceptual Design. And uh, I understand that staff from several city departments will be presenting on this item. So I'm gonna now turn the floor over to our acting city manager, Paul Boonhagen. Thank you, Mr. Mayor uh, and City Council. We do have a, a team of staff from uh, planning. We have Lisa Shen um, and Beth Thomas from Public Works and our uh, consultant, Phil Erickson, is here as well. Lisa's gonna kick it off and um, I'll just hand it over to her. We have about a 15, 18, 15 to 20 minute presentation. Thank you very much. Great, thank you, um, City Manager Budenhagen. Um, Elisa Shen here with the uh, Principal Planner with the Planning and Development Department. Good evening, Mayor Aragine and members of the City Council. I'll be giving a brief introduction to the project followed uh, as, as uh, City Manager Budenhagen mentioned, followed by my colleague, Beth Thomas, with the Public Works Department and Phil Erickson with Communities and Architecture, who will go over the key elements of the proposed concepts for the Adeline Street right-of-way at the Ashby Bart Station. Let me just share screen. All right, can everyone see the presentation? Yes, we can. Great. So. Uh, you have before you the staff report and the materials, and I will just mention while st staff recommendation is option two, as you'll hear more about soon, we're going to go through and present both options because there are differences in the options that we want to make sure you're aware of in making your decision tonight. So how did this project come about? There were a number of adopted plans and policies that support this project. In 2020, the City Council made a referral to study a road diet or a two-lane option on Adeline Street between Martin Luther King Jr. Way and Ward Street. This was later incorporated into the Adeline Corridor specific plan as a future step for further study. And the City's pedestrian master plan adopted in 2021 also identifies Adeline Street south of Ashby as one of the top 10 Berkeley Street segments that should have pedestrian safety treatments. And of course, just recently uh, in June 2022, the City Council and BART adopted a joint envision and priorities and document uh, for the North Berkeley and the Ashby BART stations, which includes priorities about reconfiguring Adeline Street at Ashby to create a more walkable and vibrant place. In addition to these right, the right-of-way design concepts that we're presenting to you tonight, there have also been other projects that have advanced concepts from the Adeline Corridor specific plan for Adeline Street, uh, north and south of the Ashby Station. And the planning process for South Adeline uh, to develop refined engineering concepts for this section of Adeline Street between Martin Luther King Jr. Way to the Berkeley-Oakland border is just getting underway. So this diagram illustrates how the process of planning for future development at the Ashby Bart parking lots and planning for the right of way work together. The steps we're taking this fall are setting the table for future steps, including a Bart community meeting uh, to share more information about Bart infrastructure and potential connections for the future plaza and uh, the transit oriented development on the parking lots 
as well as future city council and BART board actions on an amended or new memorandum of agreement with more detail about next steps and the process for the Ashby BART station, including disposition of the city's air rights on the Western parcel. And, uh, and also another important uh, future step will be applying for grant funding to uh, develop more of refined uh, engineering uh, for the concepts of the preferred right-of-way um, option in order to provide that information to uh, future potential developers um, for the Ashby BART, uh, BART station when there is a developer solicitation um, initiated. Leading up to this council meeting, we heard from a number of di um, different stakeholder groups and the community staff held several meetings with the Berkeley Flea Market Board and market vendors in person and over Zoom. We also had other meetings with um, the, you know, adjacent Ed Roberts campus, for example, as well as Ecology Center and Lauren Business Association. Staff also held a community meeting in um, early October and two office hour sessions uh, in the beginning of October. And we also presented to the Transportation and Infrastructure Commission on October 20th. A broad range of key criteria has shaped and informed the high level preliminary concepts that you're gonna see tonight. And there are many different goals we're trying to balance in the redesign of Adeline Street at the Ashby Station. We want to make the streets safer and work better for pedestrians, cyclists, and public transit. We want to maintain state safe station access and operations, as well as provide improved and permanent home for the Berkeley Flea Market and other uses in a new public plaza. And we also want to make new housing at the Ashby Station a reality, especially affordable housing. So as with many aspects of the planning for these BART stations, we advance high-level planning, despite some big unknowns that will become better known later in the process, such as how the proposed de development will actually be configured on the site and what additional space may be available for public space after across the street from Adeline after the realignment of the intersection at the Adeline Street and Martin Luther King Jr. Way um, uh, intersection that is, is currently um, being looked at as part of that South Adeline project I just mentioned. So now I'm gonna turn it over to Beth Thomas, who will provide an overview of the right-of-way concepts. Good evening, Mayor Ergeen and members of the City Council. So I'm Beth Thomas, Principal Transportation Planner and Public Works of the City. And I'll be walking you through the conceptual street design options that we studied. So starting with a comparison of option one to option two, um, option one has dedicated bus lanes, whereas option two does not. Option two has a west side passenger drop-off and parking lane. So that's on the west side of Adeline um, at the um, Ashby Bard station, whereas option one does not. Both options have shorter crosswalks compared to existing conditions, with option two having shorter crosswalks than option one in places. And um, both options have a plaza on the west side of Adeline, with option two having a wider plaza than option one does. Um, and then what both options um, have in common is they have one um, mixed traffic vehicular lane each direction. They both have protected bikeways. They both have a buffered bike lane in front of Ed Roberts campus. 
They both have a bus stop with um, a bicycle bypass around it at the Ashby BART station and a redesigned intersection of Adeline Street with Martin Luther King Jr. Way. And um, they both have the potential to expand the, the plaza that's included in each option to expand it at the south end as funding allows. Uh, next slide, please. Okay, so um, what we have here is an overview of the project area. It starts uh, north of Ashby Avenue on the left-hand side of the screen and um, extends to the intersection of Adeline with MLK at the south end. So that's on the right-hand side of the screen. Uh, next slide, please. So focusing in on the Adeline-Ashby intersection, um, what we have here is a transit lane. So this is um, focusing in on option one. So we have a transit lane that is shown in red and it begins north of Ashby Avenue uh, southbound and then continues um, on the south side of the Ashby intersection, continued southward. And then we also have it in the northward direction as well. And then Shown in green, we have protected bike lanes. So we have a continuation of the existing protected bike lanes that are on Adeline north of Ashby. We have them continue through the intersection um, south of Ashby along Adeline. And then um, we also have uh, a reduced radius of the northwest corner of the intersection compared to existing conditions, which will help to slow turns and improve pedestrian safety at that key crossing over to the corner of the barge station. Um, so that's a, a tighter corner there. And then on the northeast corner, um, we have heard concerns about the retention of the existing island there with that slip lane. So that's something we'll be further evaluating in preliminary engineering. We'll be evaluating different safety treatments for um, to uh, shorten the crossing distance, uh, slow traffic, slow turns, and, um, and also um, increase pedestrian visibility. Uh, next slide, please. So now we're, we're um, focusing on the core of option one, which is along the Ashby BART station frontage. And so we have again in red, the transit lane each direction. We have in green, the protected bike lanes. And um, at the um, Ashby BART station on the west side of Adeline, this is actually a bike path so it is at the same level as the plaza. The plaza is in the sort of manila folder uh, color there. Um, and um, we also have um, a squared up intersection um, at the corner of Adeline and MLK. And what that does is it brings Adeline around to meet Woolsey Street where we can uh, create a new bike boulevard on Woolsey Street to create that bicycle connection. And then that, that way the pathway would connect from that intersection to where the planned bike boulevard continues east of Adeline along Woolsey. And that, that bike boulevard is already funded. And then we have um, a buffered bike lane in front of Ed Roberts campus, which preserves the direct uh, drop-off access to Ed Roberts campus for those um, to, to bring people directly to Ed Roberts campus and pull up to the curb. Um, focusing on the plaza, 
we have, um, what we do is we bulb out the existing sidewalk into the street. And the way that we found the space is by narrowing the traffic lanes. Uh, they're wider today than they need to be, um, the traffic lanes along Adeline and also reducing the raised median in the center line to six feet, uh, which still allows space for pedestrian refuge when crossing. Um, and, um, that, and so thereby with that, that space we've created, we've um, extended the existing sidewalk um, outward into Adeline. So we bulb out the whole sidewalk and that's how the plaza is created. At the Southern end where it shows uh, potential extended plaza, that would be where as funding allows, if we were able to acquire the funding, we would extend the plaza outward over the existing BART parking lot area. Uh, next slide, please. So this slide uh, compares the cross sections. Um, so this is starting with section A, which is at the north end. Section B is the middle and section C is the southern end. And it shows um, the relative uh, plaza dimensions. So uh, the plaza gets a bit wider in the middle segment. And that is because the existing sidewalk today is already wider there in section B. And then um, at the southern end, what that is showing is the space that we would um, that we could get by expanding the plaza outward over uh, where the BART station is today, um, as funding allows. If we were able to acquire the funding, uh, next slide, please. Now we'll turn to option two. Uh, the project area is the same as in option one. Um, from north of Ashby Avenue on the left to the MLK intersection on the south, which is to the right. Next slide, please. So focusing again on the Adeline Ashby intersection, option two has a lot of similarities to option one. The key difference is it does not have the transit lanes uh, south along Adeline south of Ashby. But what we do have is a transit queue jump lane. So that's the red lane that starts um, north of Ashby, so southbound. And um, what that does is it allows the buses to proceed through the intersection ahead of the other traffic. So the buses would have their own uh, signal. This is used in it, at places in San Francisco and in other cities. The buses would have their own transit signal in order to proceed ahead of the rest of the traffic. And the purpose of that would be so that when um, Adeline is reduced to one lane each direction, uh, the buses um, would not uh, be delayed. And then the other features are pretty similar to option one. We have the existing protected bike lanes that continue through the intersection um, and, and then continue along Adeline. And we have the, um, the reduced um, radius of the Northwest corner there to slow the turning cars. And we have the same um, thought about continuing to evaluate the northeast corner where we have the existing island and looking at different treatments um, for pedestrian safety there as we go into preliminary engineering. Uh, next slide, please. So looking again at the um, core of the project area, um, option two has a lot of similarities 
to option one, the key difference being that option two does not have the transit lanes. And this allows for a wider uh, plaza. And um, again, like in option one, option two has the, uh, the protected bike lane is actually a bike path at the same level as the plaza um, through the plaza. So it is, it is raised up um, flush with the plaza at the same um, level, like a path. Um, the connections that are made are the same as was described in option one, the bicycling connections um, and the, the buffered bike lane in front of Ed Roberts campus to preserve that direct um, passenger drop-off access in front of Ed Roberts campus um, is the same in option two as in option one. And also the squaring up of the MLK um, Adeline intersection to meet at Woolsey is the same as in option one. Next slide, please. And so here we have a comparison of the plaza sizes. And so again, similar to option one, um, the plaza is widest at the south end where we could extend um, outward over the existing parking lot as funding allows. Um, and um, it's um, wider in the middle than it is at the north end. And that's because the existing sidewalk is wider there. So at the um, north end and in the middle, um, the space we're getting is just by bulbing out into the existing street. And that's the space we get by reducing Adeline to one lane each direction. And then at the south end, we get that space plus potentially expanding the plaza towards the west over the existing parking lot as if we were able to acquire the funding to do that. Next slide, please. And um, we conducted a traffic study to evaluate both options. And what that traffic study found is that with a reduction in to one uh, general purpose mixed traffic lane each direction, that we would have only, uh, we would have less than 10 seconds of uh, additional delay, so less than 10 second increase in delay, and that's in the northbound direction at the Adeline Ashby intersection with no increase in delay for the, um, the other uh, movements. And that was because we were able to adjust the signal timing and optimize it um, uh, in response to the proposed design. And then the um, provision of a Q-jump lane on the approach to Ashby southbound in option two would further uh, reduce this delay uh, for transit riders. And with that, um, well, next slide, please. And with that, I will hand over the presentation to Phil Erickson from Community Design and Architecture, who will walk you through the, um, the, the public space and um, the uh, plaza design. Great, thank you, Beth. Um, good evening, Mayor and Council members. Um, so let's jump right into this. And one of the things, uh, the place to really start thinking about this potential plaza is getting an understanding of the size of, of plaza that we're talking about. So what we did on, on this slide, what you see on the left is the two options and that tan area showing the plaza, potential plaza space. And then in the middle of the slide, there's two examples that I think most of us are familiar with, um, the downtown Berkeley Bart Plaza, and then the area in front of the ferry building um, in San Francisco on the Embarcadero. So this is just the area between the ferry building 
and the bike lane that is that is there now. And one of the things that that you see here is that the widths of these plazas are within a similar kind of range. Um, the option two Adeline Plaza is about 14 feet wider than the option one plaza. Um, the Embarcadero example along the ferry building is quite long um, in, in its condition there. But what you see with the Adeline Plaza is it's even longer than that. So one of the things that we see is that this is a large plaza space and that's you know to the benefit of providing space for the Berkeley flea market on weekends, but it, it does um, raise some, some issues and about how do we really activate this? What are the kinds of things that we can do in this space to make it an, an active and useful public space for the community? Next slide, please. Um, so in conversations with, with the flea market and with the public and, and thinking about what could happen in the space, um, there are sort of daily uses or uses during the week, such as kiosks for um, coffee or food or local startup, startup businesses could um, use kiosks in the plaza. More typical things that you see in plazas like movable tables and chairs but there's opportunities for other kinds of daily events or once a week kind of events to happen. Um, clearly the, the space for the Berkeley flea market is an important opportunity within this plaza um, and that would be taking place on weekends. And then there's also opportunities for other kinds of special events that could happen seasonally or intermittently throughout the year. Next slide. Then there's thinking about is, as we move forward, once we've defined the amount of space that we're going to have, um, what are the things that we do within that space? Um, there's typical things that, that you see in plazas to think about lighting, trash and recycling containers, those sorts of things. But there's also some special issues um, with this plaza. With the bike uh, way one, running along the edge of the plaza, we need to think about how we define that edge between the bikeway and the pedestrian areas of the plaza. Um, another thing that we need to think about is, and we know that there's a lot of interest in the community from the conversations that we've had about landscape and, and greening the street and the neighborhood and the plaza. Um, but one of the issues with um, this location is that the BART box for the station is actually quite shallow. Um, and it, uh, you may not have noticed this when you've been out there in this area, but there isn't landscape planted into the ground. Um, so what we would need to do is use planter pots, planter boxes to have the landscape be above that. Um, power and water is a unique opportunity that we can think about with this plaza, providing power and water within the plaza to serve kiosks, to serve the, the, um, the flea market. And then there are also things that we've been thinking about in terms of public bathrooms. Is that something that might be provided within the plaza space or could it be provided within the future development? And then um, both through discussions with the community and with the flea market, the idea of providing space for a children's play area is something that's come up. Next, please. Um, 
An another unique condition of this site is that today there's the parking lot that is to the west and there's that drop off. Um, but how with the development of the parking lot, how can the development engage the plaza? Um, and as Elisa was talking about earlier, this is one of those things that we're still finding out more about. Um, we have, there have been explorations, particularly around the, the southern end of the plaza, um, where it does seem that there's the, the most clear opportunity to have the development and the plaza come up to each other. And that's the red area that you see there, which could be an extension of the plaza or the development coming up to it. In the middle area, there are circulation and other access and safety issues with the station that may limit the connections um, that could happen there. And then to the north of that, um, there is the power substation and BART is planning an expansion of that. And that's one of the most constrained areas in a place where we need to, to work at finding out more, and seeing what solutions there might be there. But one thing that I would point out, and one of the things that we thought about in evaluating these options is that having more plaza space gives us op an opportunity to look at activating the plaza within the plaza if we find that that's what we need to do from a cost and, and feasibility standpoint. So that's one of the, the benefits of option two and having more plaza space. Next, please. Um, one of the things that can be used to, to activate and give interest and reflect the, the culture of South Berkeley um, is putting art into the plaza. The city's already commissioned uh, Mildred Howard sculpture, and you see that on the right, an image of the, the concept for that art. And there's other, op there's other opportunities that can be looked at moving forward to integrate art into the plaza. Next slide. So we have had um, discussions with the Berkeley flea market and just a couple of things that I wanted to highlight about those discussions. We did explore concepts for sizing of stalls, layout of stalls within the plaza and had in-depth conversations with the board and with the vendors about these. And one of the things that becomes really clear through that kind of conversation, and in some ways it's obvious, the larger the plaza, the more ability you have to provide space for the vendors. So again, the vendors and, and the Berkeley flea market expressed support for, for option two. One of the things that I would point out is that there is, it, it's be, it became clear through these interactions that there's a need to think about more moving forward about the operations of the flea market. There's great advantages, I think, to being visible and more up and on the street than in the parking lot where they are today. Um, but it does create some operational issues that, that need to be worked through. Next slide, please. Um, so, so in conclusion, it's really looking at um, the trade-offs between the different modes that are using Adeline Street and looking at the use of the plaza that um, both staff, um, the Transportation and Infrastructure Commission and the feedback that we were getting from the city and from the Berkeley flea market all started to class around option two. 
Um, so with that, we'll turn it over to you and welcome your questions and comments. Thank you. Thank you so very much. Um, and I really appreciate all the work that's gone into um, this proposal. I think the many years of outreach to our uh, flea market vendors and stakeholders, the South Berkeley community. Um, and I wanna also just thank Councilmember Bartlett for his, his engagement in this process. Um, first, I have a question and then I have a comment. Um, my question, first question is we have received some questions um, asking whether the proposed designs, option one or two, is in compliance with the Americans with Disabilities Act. So I'm wondering if our staff can address that issue around um, how these proposed designs comply with and implement the ADA and, and, and perhaps go beyond the implementation of ADA. As I anticipate that we'll have some questions or comments in public comment related to that issue. I think that your best position to answer that. Okay, thank you. Yes, yeah, so um, so both options will have um, ADA compliant uh, curb ramps, um, pedestrian crossings, of course. Uh, in addition, the uh, the bike path um, shown in both options along the plaza. So that's at the plaza level. So that's a completely level um, with the access uh, to the bus stop, and it would go um, around the bus stop. So a, having um, at least the required eight feet of distance um, from the curb um, going uh, westward into the plaza of dedicated pedestrian space. So the, in other words, the bike path would, would go around that bus stop and not, not bisect it. Um, in addition, um, it, I think there was concern that we might put curbs between on-street parking and the bike lane where the bike lane is protected by the parked cars. And um, that we are not designing our protected bike lanes that way when, they, when they're um, behind the on-street parking. So there would not be, that we are not proposing a raised curb between the on-street parking and the bike lane. Um, that would be um, the surface, it would be um, on the, the asphalt surface. Um, in that buffer zone where the car door, door opens, that would just be the asphalt um, street surface between the parking and the bike lane, similar to um, on the Milvia Protected Bikeway Project. In addition, um, we have gotten feedback from our Commission on Disability where um, they, um, they you know, requested that buffer space as, um, as another way of, of accessing vehicles um, along that, that buffer space. Um, so I don't know, do you have um, specific follow-up questions concerning that? No, I just, I, in response to the email that we received from Friends of Adeline and the comments that we are going to receive in public comment, I just wanted staff to address that issue. And Mayor, if I, if I might, um, I think one, there are definitely, um, I would say gray areas here. I mean, frankly, ADA um, is a little bit behind the times in terms of the kinds of bicycle infrastructure that we're talking about and, and some of the things here. So I think 
this is really yet another opportunity for Berkeley to lead in addressing some of these issues and thinking about universal design. What can we do beyond ADA so that we can deal with that, having a level of comfort for somebody um, with low vision, um, somebody in a wheelchair who's getting out of a vehicle, um, how do they comfortably get set and, and then interact and cross safely with that bikeway? And then also just with a large um, plaza like this, we need to think about how people are navigating to get to BART or, or navigating to pass through the area. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a great opportunity and having um, Ed Roberts campus right across the street, I think could be a real asset to solving these issues moving forward. Thank you very much. I just, the last comment I wanna make is around the gap, potential gap between the building and the plaza. And um, I think it's extremely important that we have a connection between the building and the plaza. And that means constructing that podium. It will mean that we'll have to fund it either through grant funds or city funding, but it's about making sure we have that connection that we're bringing the building up to Adeline, that there's an actual physical connection. And I think it's important to put this in context and Councilor Barlow just issued an excellent statement that I'm sure he'll address in his comments um, that really puts things into perspective, which is there, was, there were blocks of homes and businesses that were there that were destroyed in order to build this BART station. And um, as part of the reparative work that I believe BART and this development needs to do is to correct that. And the way to do that is to have the podium and the direct connection on Adeline. And so I really call on BART to work in good faith with the city of Berkeley to figure out a solution to this issue. And I, I know Councilor Bartlett has a, is gonna make a motion. And I think it's extremely important that we continue to explore uh, creative solutions to this particular issue um, so that, you know, we get the best development possible for South Berkeley. You know, why should South Berkeley get something different from North Berkeley? It's an equity issue. It's also about making sure that we have an active pedestrian connection, um, not just to the housing project and the plaza and the Adeline right away, but also to the entrance of the BART station. So I just really, I, I really call on BART to work with the city of Berkeley to find a solution to this issue, because it is really about repairing the harm that was created in the 60s when this project was built. And it's about creating a much better, more equitable future for South Berkeley. So with that, I'd like to recognize the council member from District 3, Ben Bartlett. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. And, uh, and thank you for your, your wonderful comments. You, you echo my sentiments exactly. Uh, you know, the, the, to, to Elisa and the team, Aaron, Phil and Beth, the, the team, uh, it's so exciting to see this progress. Uh, every step uh, that we proceed further just makes me feel so uh, more gratified because we've been imagining this, this, this new thing, this new place to be a community center that's healthy and the opposite of what we have now. And I wanna thank you for your work. And I'm glad also that we were able to address the issues around ADA um, right ahead because that's important. Uh, for no other reason than with that neighborhood, that block is the home of the ADA, right? So, you know, a couple of things um, to highlight, and, uh, and I'm getting questions about the, the Greenway, which is not here, but can anyone, just for the sake of the people that are texting me, asking me, 
uh, show us where, where the greenway is in relation to this, this stretch. This is the proposed parkway that would stretch along uh, nearby. I think you're talking about the uh, Shattuck Adeline Greenway, yeah. Yeah, so people, I think people are a bit confused by the green stripe on the map. So I'm getting some questions. Can can you help us just clarify a little bit? Alisa, are you? Do you want to share the um, overview of option two? That slide that was the overview of option two. Yeah, and I'm wondering, is it that? picture or also just the larger Adeline corridor specific plan that has other aspects of it outside, you know, north of, that could also be it, north of um, Ashby. But I will share that slide that we showed. Um, you said option two, right? Yeah. Yes. So, slide. I'm oh, sorry. What is going 14, on? I think. Okay. Sorry. Or yeah, my laptop mouse is getting a little sticky for some reason. Yeah, can you go up to sorry, um up well two up. That one. Um so so we we don't show oh. greenway per se in this um, design concept. Uh, what we're showing is the tie-in to the um, existing protected bike lanes on Adeline north of Ashby, because this, this um, design concept just really focused on the, um, the Ashby Bard Station area and um, the creation of the plaza and the narrowing of, of Adeline for that um, pedestrian access to the Bard Station. Um, so we haven't yet shown how it would tie into that future project, um, but there, there is the flexibility that um, the, the, the protected bike lanes, the bike path um, to, to cross um, the intersection in a different way in order to connect to a future uh, greenway to design that later. Okay, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. That clears up a lot. And I do want to stress while we're here together, uh, you know, when when uh, when when Bar was created in Berkeley, uh, the the North Berkeley Bar Station got Ohlone Park, uh, a beautiful strip. And you know, Congressman Dellums uh, was he lamented the fact that he was unable to get that same park in South Berkeley, that same strip. So we got this massive highway. Uh, with all the attendant asthma and pedestrian fatalities and risk and economic uh, depression that um, <laughs> comes from uh, that kind of that kind of contextual design for a neighborhood. And so I do think uh, it, it would be really amazing if we could complete the mission and also bring a park to South Berkeley. And, and that ties into a policy that this council adopted in 2017. Um, the Equity and Green Space Initiative. And this is just a policy of, of whenever possible in equity areas of Berkeley to create green space to do so. And so I want to just urge, urge that again. Um, and then, you know, looking at the option two, which is very attractive uh, to most everyone in the community and myself included, uh, it's important to note that the 
that your study of traffic, the two lanes barely impede the flow at all. And for those who don't know any, don't know the area very well, uh, it's often very empty, and there's plenty of space on those that that massive um, highway to be to be called and to be slowed down and create community. Um, and so, yeah, I'm really excited about us developing this and making it attractive to the community with a large plaza for the flea market and for creative uses for the community whether it's uh, Tai Chi, the pictures in this head, or daily Kung Fu classes, kids, art, public art, you name it. Um, and then also regarding the, the building, and I wanna, I wanna um, join, align myself with the mayor's comments as well. Uh, you know, we already have, and it was just reflected here, but we already have this massive utility wall coming up alongside um, of the of the building and it's meant to serve electricity for BART, et cetera. But the effect of that is to create this big dark <laughs> wall walling off this building from um, from the street on um, another side of the street. And so now uh, coming around to the Adeline side from the Ashby side to the Adeline side, we have uh, the proposed as is the proposal to have the retail stores, recessed below the street. And so, uh, you know, I'm concerned that when you combine this below, this underground um, retail space combined with uh, a hardcore utility wall blanketing the, the, I guess, the Northern side of the, of the space, uh, you, you end up with um, an isolate location. And that's, I think that's uh, not really constructive for a community to have a thousand people living isolate underground. And then also for the retail stores, we wanna, we wanna rebuild the community and rebuild our commercial uh, sector and have people walk and do things and, and be connected to the community. Um, and I think that if the stores are underground, they will all fail and we will have another generation um, replicating what we have now. So those are my, 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 um, my thoughts. And those are, after much, much consideration, I very, very strongly support option two uh, with the inclusion uh, of connectivity, closing the gap between the, the building and the sidewalk. And so I'd like, like to hear the, my colleagues in the community, but those are my thoughts. Thank you. Council Member Robinson. Hey, good evening. I am so excited to have this before us tonight. Uh, Beth Thomas and Elisa Shen, I really want to thank you deeply for all your work and to your teams for your incredible caretaking and shepherding of the community process around these decisions. There is so much connectivity between the designs that we're approving tonight and so many other important plans and conversations we've worked on and approved recently. You know, thinking, of course, of the proposed project itself at BART to the expansion of the bike boulevard network on Woolsey to the Adeline corridor plan and the recent Adeline bike lanes. I, um, I passed through this stretch of town semi-regularly. We uh, had just hosted the 50th anniversary celebration of the Center for Independent Living at Ed Roberts. I, I picked up some used records at the flea market just the other day, biked there both times. And as I did, of course, was imagining better connections for our BART station for users of all modes. You're right now when the, uh, the bike line ends uh, right at Ashby, it kind of kind of flings you across the intersection. Let's just, uh, let's just say it's a bit of a leap of faith every time. Looking at the preferred alternative uh, and the two options, 
I'm very happy to support uh, option two alongside the process itself and our staff, but you want to acknowledge that it's, uh, it's a highly uncommon and even I think a little uncomfortable position for me to find myself in to favor the design that on its face seems, looks like it provides less priority for bus service. Both of these options are a dramatic improvement for the street, will narrow and calm Adeline, increase access for all modes. But option two, with the queue jump, you know, I think that allows us to achieve most of the benefits of a bus lane while importantly maximizing the size of the plaza and minimizing overall vehicle traffic and crossing distances. And, and to me, that feels like a very solid trade-off. I'm really glad to hear that the Commission on Disability has been so involved in advising the design process. Accessibility is important everywhere that we transform the streetscape, but I hope that right here, especially at the Ed Roberts campus, we can aspire to have a streetscape that not only checks the right ADA boxes, but seeks to lead, really set a new standard of universal design for access for all users. Um, I'll resonate with the, uh, the points that Councilmember Bartlett made. Uh, I'm deeply enthusiastic about the potential for plaza fronting buildings uh, and making sure that there's connectivity to and through the residential project and development to the plaza. Uh, if it is possible to construct that podium, I absolutely believe we need to pursue that option. Um, so thank you. Thank you so much for the work that's gone into this and getting this to our agenda today. Yeah, I feel really deeply that it's uh, it's not just about redesigning a street. It's not just about building housing on a parking lot. It's about restoring a community and building a neighborhood center. And I could not be more excited. Thank you. Thank you. We'll go next to Councilor Han. Yeah, thank you very much. And thank you for the presentation. A little hard to follow in the memo, but I think I understood the two options better um, after seeing them and, and hearing them described. Uh, essentially, one of them, the trade-off is having a dedicated bus lane versus essentially taking that space and adding it to the plaza <clears throat> so that we have a wider plaza. Um, so I very much support returning as much open space and to the extent that we can green it, green space to this neighborhood, and also returning a neighborhood to the neighborhood. Uh, I don't think this question of, of recess um, retail is, is really demonstrated here, and I don't, I'm not sure where that would occur, but I will just say that um, that never works. It's always dank. And in fact, BART right now is uh, spending a lot of money, or the city of San Francisco, with these uh, stations that were put into wells on Market Street, right? On Market Street, they had that idea. We'll make a big hole and everyone will go down into the hole and then we'll have stops in that hole. And then you'll go further down into BART and that'll be attractive. Uh, complete disaster. Never, never, never works. And it is incredibly important to me that when we do this project, we have the restoration and repair paradigm in our minds. We want this to be a first rate, not a second or third rate retail environment and a place where people build community, join together, find each other, find good, find enjoyment. Um, 
And great, if the trees have to be in planters, great. We'll, we'll, we'll put them in planters. We need to have a green canopy. We need to have shade. We need to have all the things that make uh, a plaza into a plaza because as it is, it's just a barren strip. Um, and so the, the how we program that and activate that is, I think, really key to the whole thing. Um, <clears throat> a couple of just ideas to add to the list of things to think about for this, I'm gonna call it this barren strip that we need to make into a park and a plaza is uh, tables for games. Um, I don't know if folks are familiar with Washington Square Park in uh, in Manhattan. Forever, they've had these tables with chests, and it's just a, a regular gathering space. People come from all over the area just to play chess. Other people come to watch them play chess, and that alone really animates the park. I also wanted to suggest a basketball or petanque. Um, in Europe, when you have these long, uh, in a lot of, uh, in Spain and in France and Portugal, when you have, and in Latin America as well, when you have these long uh, esplanades, you often will have petanque or bocce ball. And those are also things that bring people together. They just come and they hang out and they play. And those are adult games as well as games for children. So I just think we ought to, we ought to really uh, think joyfully and completely about how we can take this space and really and make it a, a magnet for community, not just on weekends with, with the um, <clears throat> flea market, but every day. Um, I had a couple of little questions for staff. Um, there was a slide near the end that mentioned a traffic study. I don't know if that could be put back up, but I had a question about that. Okay, yes. So um the traffic study, I think we might have had it. It was there and then um suggests that signal timing adjustments will reduce the delay, etc. My question about the study. Oh, there you go. Thank you. Does that study anticipate the added traffic that we will have once we build large buildings with tons of apartments and we add a whole bunch of commerce here. And by the way, I'm hoping there's gonna be something like a supermarket to serve this neighborhood and to serve um, all the residents that, that we're gonna be welcoming. So my question is, does this study and do the conclusions of this study anticipate significantly increased traffic, or is it based on existing loads? It was a um, Adeline Corridor specific plan, uh, 2040 full build out analysis. So it took into account all of the traffic generation from the full build out of the Adeline Corridor specific plan. Okay, that is great and really important information. Um, and that plan, that anticipated the full build-out of the BART station as well, right? Yes. Okay, good. That's great. Thank you. I'm really happy with that answer. Um, uh, going to the, the pictures of 
um, any of the plaza options where you're talking about the extension, I was just confused about what that is. And when you say we would need to get funds for it, is that land that would not be part of the housing development? And are we talking about like creating a cantilever or something? I'm just confused about what that is, that extra space we might recover. I can share the slide if you want to speak to that, Bill. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's it. Thank you. The little area that you show is a potential extended plaza. What is that? And what does it entail? Yeah, so that's um, the, the existing condition there is um, sort of a, a, a landscape slope. There is that road spur that comes off of Adeline down into the parking lot. That's about where that dashed line is that comes down in. So it's a it's an area that do, it does have some BART facilities in it. It has a fence structure. Um, there are thoughts of adding a, another exit, an emergency exit stair there. Those are the two X's that you see in the rectangles. Hmm. Um, the the challenge here, and that the an analysis that was done looked at what it would cost to extend the, pl uh, the plaza space into that area. So in effect, it would be a bit cantilevered. Um, there would be a structure to hold it up. You're, you're within um, the area that would put a load onto the side of the station box. This is an issue that's been coming up with the North Berkeley station as well. Um, so it's, it's not inexpensive to do the, so the order of magnitude cost estimates are in the range of seven to $11 million. Hmm. Um, and now okay, it could, so that's, that's now it a could be that, structure. Yeah, no, it could be that that's an extension of the plaza. It could also be that it's a space that the future developer might want to look at expand, expanding the building into to come up to the plaza. So that's where sort of the allotment of that space to what's building or what's plaza is something that needs to be worked out because that's gonna be part of solving the costs of doing that. So that that interaction with the developer and what value they would might get out of that in terms of um, additional building space would need to be figured out. Okay, got it, that's very helpful. So. It could be done, but it may be more of a theoretical could be done <laughs> than a feasible. Yeah, the, the discussions that we've been having with BART are, are, are hopeful. It, okay. It's, yeah. Well, I guess for myself, that, that really further solidifies my interest in doing um, option two so that we aren't hoping for that extension to create the plaza, but we really have ample uh, ample public space for a park-like setting and the market and for all the, all the activation and life that we hope to bring to this area. So, okay, very helpful. Um, my last question has to do with um, access 
both to BART, but also to the um, Ed Roberts campus for people with disabilities. Now, obviously, we're hoping that with, with elevators that actually work and really good transit connections, that more people with disabilities uh, will be able to access this area on public transit. But my understanding is that the parking lot behind um, Ed Roberts will be filled with a building. And I'm not sure that building will include any parking. And then we, we're not showing any parking on the street here on the east side, right? We're just showing drop-off zones. So I'm a little concerned about what the vehicle access is for, for handicapped vehicles. If someone could maybe. Sure, I, I, would, I would be happy to take that. Great, um, thank you. So, yeah, so you're referring to the east side of Adeline Street? Yeah, I mean, I'm concerned about both, but obviously on the east side is in front of the Ed Roberts campus. Right now, a lot of people drive down that little alley and go to the fairly large parking lot in the back that has a lot of handicapped spaces and they're all full all the time. My question is like, where do those people go to park? The ones who don't end up being able to come on the better public transit. Okay, um, so we, um, Elisa, do you, can you pull up um, option two, two slides down? Yeah, that one, thanks. So um, the one up the, where you are, yeah. So we, um, we do um, have parking on the east side of Adeline there. Uh, the, so those are parking bays. Yes, those are parking bays. Mm -hmm. And then in front of Ed Roberts campus, we keep the same drop-off zone that is there today. The bulb outs are conceptual. So we would be working with Ed Roberts and preliminary engineering to make sure we preserve enough space for them. So the, that bulb out, yeah, they're on the, to the right there at Woolsey at the, that's, that's just conceptual. That's not necessarily that big. We, mm -hmm. we wouldn't do anything that was going to impact that, uh, that drop-off zone. And then we, we will uh, look at where we should be adding uh, blue zones in those parking bays when we did preliminary engineering. Okay, but there is parking in those locations now, right? That's not new parking? Right, there's curb That's, parking. So eventually 100% of the parking, my understanding is, is gonna be lost behind the Ed Roberts campus. And then we're probably losing a couple spaces on the street too with the bulb outs and things. So I guess I, I'm very concerned. Yeah, so replacement park. Yeah, since the projects kind of aren't being brought to us together, but they're gonna function together. I'm just concerned about that. Thank you, Ms. Chen. Oh, I was just gonna say that the BART replacement parking uh, question for commuters, that's under BART's purview and they've shared, um, and I think they will be sharing that, as Mayor Dean mentioned, um, the final recommendations from the um, Berkeley-El Cerrito corridor access plan. But um, that plan has um, some really significant reductions in terms of the study they've done in order to maximize the amount of space that's available on the parking lots for housing, um, reduce the amount of replacement parking for the North Berkeley and the Ashby stations, and then 
the zoning that we've adopted, you know, adopts a maximum uh, zoning parking ratio for the development. Okay. Um, well, the, the memo on item 17 just happens to say that they're only talking about 85 rider parking spaces at Ashby, um, down from 535. So I, I'm just seeing it come down significantly everywhere. And my specific concern is for the fact that the Ed Roberts campus is the most important disability uh, advocacy services. Um, I, I believe part of the dream is to also have a, a gym, a pool, and all kinds of facilities for people with disabilities. And I'm just concerned that that in each of these projects, we not hope that the other projects are going to address that need. So I guess that's maybe more of a statement. Um, for us to be wary of um, each project kind of coming separately and, and maybe imagining that the other project will handle the parking needs of people with disabilities. Thank you. Well, this is, I think, an important um, an issue for us to consider um, as part of the discussions with BART around the community benefits and minimum project requirements. So I appreciate you raising that. Uh, Vice Mayor Harrison. Yeah, I, I only have a, a few questions. First of all, I'm very delighted by the idea of the of this placemaking. And I can tell you when we improved BART Plaza, it made an incredible difference to the downtown. Unfortunately, then COVID happened. So I don't think all the merchants have felt that. But in the few months that it was there before that happened, it was an enormous difference in the activation of the street and the feeling in the downtown near BART. So I was, I'm really looking forward to this. I want to... Um, say that I do support option two because the, the width is really important given the incredible length of this plaza. We have to have a balanced plaza. If you saw that picture from the San Francisco BART station with the long, thin thing, it, it just doesn't work. It doesn't feel like a place you're gonna wanna hang out. And I think we need to have this balance there. And I don't have an opinion so much about this possible expansion of the plaza over BART property, although we do have some, some tools of our own to ask BART for things. So we should be doing that if we can. Um, I had two really specific things and I and I want to, sorry, also support Councilmember Bartlett's getting rid of this gap. I don't want to be in a mind the gap situation. I feel like I'm in the London underground again. We have to really not have this gap. It's it's the most negative thing that, that I've seen in the plan. Um, two specific questions. One, I really appreciate Mr. Erickson, you saying that, you know, we're going to do something that goes beyond the ADA um, and would be an ideal universal design um, situation. When will we see that? How do we reassure the community that that's actually going to come to fruition? Beth, this is just really high-level design. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Bill. So, uh, yeah, I would say preliminary engineering is when we will really start getting into those um, those issues. So, in the in the next phase of the project, will that be coming back to us at the council? Will the public have a chance to weigh in? We we could do this, like with yeah. other aspects of. Sorry. 
Go ahead, Beth. Oh, I was just saying that that we could do that. We could come back if that is what the uh, city council desires. I think because of the ADA issues, I think it's critical. Um, I'm sorry, you were going to say, Ms. Shen. It's fine. We'd be happy to bring. We'd be happy to come back when we've got those starting to work through that design more and bring you something to, to review. Okay, great. That would be that'd be terrific because we do have a letter from Ms. Mackay who I think points out a lot of potential ADA issues that she sees with the project, and I think we need more defined plans for people to weigh in on. So we're gonna, I think, need to do that. Um, and then the only other comment I have is I noticed the Transportation Commission talked about putting up a temporary treatment to see how it worked. We did that at, or, or you all did that, um, at Dwight in California. And it was incredibly helpful because we found out there were a couple of problems with, with what was originally envisioned and they were fixed and it really worked well for everyone involved. So is that in the works? Is that something that is being taken seriously, the Transportation Commission's request that you consider temporary bollards to see how it works before you, you go all out on the road treatment? I think I saw that comment. Did I dream that? And if you go back to that slide with what the Transportation Commission said. Can you pull up that um, slide? Yeah, do you yeah, mind? Yes, that was, yeah, yes, that was, that was uh, a comment. Um, and I think there, there's some possibility to do that. I think one of the things that would need to be considered is, um, the degree to which the existing signals allow that to happen in a safe way. Um, that that would be one of the more major sort of technical um, constraints to be sure about before moving forward with with testing. Okay, so you would be testing lanes, but leaving the signals the way they are now, and that might be confusing. And that, ha yeah, 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 exactly. Okay. I see what you're saying. Well, to the extent that it can be done, I think it's really helpful. And again, it was incredibly educational. And it also reduced the whole fear factor that people had about this change, you know, this idea that suddenly this huge change is coming in. I think it allowed people to calmly get used to it. And as it turns out, you all of your predictions were right. It didn't drive extra traffic elsewhere. It didn't ruin people's ability to drive. It didn't do any of those things. In fact, it's improved the area immensely. So I think just sort of showing that, demonstrating that is gonna be really helpful. Um, and I agree with Councilmember uh, Robinson, I'll just say that my initial reaction to, oh my God, we're gonna have, you know, not a, not have a bus lane, that seems like the wrong answer. It's it's analogous to parking. It's not how many parking spaces you have, it's how much parking capacity you have because of throughput. And that's the same here. It's not whether you have a bus lane, it's about whether you have the bus transit throughput. So I'm equally happy with this way of handling it with the signaling. Um, and I'm wondering why we're not doing that elsewhere and perhaps that's something we should be looking at in other parts of town as well. But um, I'm I'm completely delighted with option two and with getting rid of the gap. Thank you. Thank you. Um, are there any other comments or questions at this time before we take public comment? I'll just make one additional comment, which is that for me, I think the most important element of this project is not just um, improving the safety of Adeline, but also um, having a much wider sidewalk or plaza area, because that is how we are going to follow through on the commitment that we made in the Adeline Corridor Plan to maintain the Berkeley flea market at the location and allow new housing to be built at this location. 
So that does mean that there are trade-offs. And I'm all in favor of bus priority lanes. We're looking at doing that on Telegraph in the Southside Complete Streets project. But if that additional space could be dedicated towards a wider plaza, I think the added the benefit long-term to this neighborhood is, is pretty significant. And it will enable us to keep the flea market here at the Ashby BART station. Um, and uh, and I think honor that commitment that we made to the flea market vendors, both BART and the city of Berkeley made when we launched this process. I think that's important. We don't we should we should not displace permanently displace the flea market, which is a really critical cultural and economic amenity for South Berkeley and for the East Bay in the process of building housing. I think we need to find a win-win. So with that, I'd like to open up public comment on item 15 um, and ask are there any attendees that wish to speak on item 15? If so, please raise your hand. Okay, we'll get to our first raised hand, uh, Charles Siegel. Mr. Siegel, you should be able to uh, speak. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I'm speaking for Walk by Berkeley. We also ask you to approve option two. And I could see that you're going in that direction. Um, we have also been working on the gap, and I think it might be possible to eliminate. The BART has been saying that the gap is necessary for operational reasons, but they've never told the public what those operational reasons are. They are going to have a meeting in January, and after that, we might we'll understand the better. We might be able to push back and get rid of the gap in places. I also really like Phil Erickson's idea of putting the podium over the gap and building the housing on top of the podium and using that extra housing to pay for the podium. We might be able to do it without the podium. There's also work to do on Ashby, and hopefully staff will get the uh, reconnecting community grants to redesign Ashby. But So there's still more work to do in the future, but the first step is to approve it right now and to go with option two. Thank you. Thank you. We'll go next to Mary Lee Smith, followed by Ben Gerhardstein. Arbach has um, given me um, her time. Okay. Great. Thank you. Um, uh, so despite um, what I heard from city staff, um, I'm still maintaining that the uh, allowing the Adeline Street project to move forward would violate the program access standards for the Americans with Disabilities Act. Um, I felt that the explanation of how there is access now was lacking. Um, I'm going to use the example of on-street parking to illustrate how complex accessibility is and how it's not just engineering, but there are legal standards involved too. Any accessible vehicle using on-street parking will have, usually have a ramp that comes out of the side of the vehicle. For this project, the schematics that were sent out with the agenda showed that um, there was a, it wasn't a bike lane next to the parked cars, but rather a 48 inch, four feet elevated concrete island. This island is not wide enough to even exit your vehicle using a ramp, let alone having an adequate turning radius. You're stuck in your car if you have a ramp. Now, it seems that the revised position during this meeting is that it's a Milvia situation where there will be no island um, and there's between the parked cars and the and the bike lane, just level pavement. As such, the, the ramp, which is about three feet long, would now unfold into the bike lane. 
And yes, it is true that accessible pedestrian rights of way guidelines have not been updated to keep up with bike lanes and road diets. But one thing is true, and that is the Americans with Disabilities Act will always keep up. And it worries me that Berkeley thinks the ADA is out of date. Los Angeles learned that this was certainly not the case. In the Sarfati case in Los Angeles, a vehicle ramp opened onto an adjacent bike lane, flat pavement, just like Milvia. And the court found that this was a violation, said it was illegal. Um, and so we just can't be doing these sorts of things because it said it was program access. So I just wanna emphasize that there are technical standards and legal standards. We need to do both. Um, so I'm, it's too soon to um, be moving ahead with this. You need to do more due diligence because if you don't, you'll be negligent. Thanks. Go next to Ben Gerhardstein, followed by Matthew Lewis. Ben, you should now be able to speak. Thank you, Mayor and Council Members. Um, ben Gerhardstein with Walk Bike Berkeley. I want to echo uh, Chuck Siegel's comments that we are in support of option two and glad to hear that so many of you are as well. Um, this is a long overdue improvement to improve safety and um, pedestrianize uh, this area, provide more vibrancy and economic opportunity for the South Berkeley community. Um, I also want to commend staff on bringing forward uh, a strong conceptual design that council can get behind. Um, thank you, Elisa and, and Beth, for your leadership on this. And, and Beth, in particular, um, as you are nearing retirement, I want to thank you for this work and your work on behalf of um, Berkeley overall um, and many projects uh, over the years. Um, so thank you, council, for moving this forward, um, addressing the gap and please also provide staff with direction to further um, explore how to um, calm traffic and improve pedestrian safety at the Adeline and Ashby intersection. Thank you. Matthew Lewis, followed by Makai Freeman. Matthew Lewis, you should be able to speak. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Thanks to the council for the direction you seem to be going on this. I also support option two. I also want to extend special thanks to Council Member Bartlett, who has done the work with us in the community and the neighborhood here in District 3 to really um, listen to our concerns about the gap. It is very critical that that get closed. This retail will fail if it is below ground. I don't think anybody denies that. I, I'm going to echo the comments of my friends with Walk Bike Berkeley um, uh, in terms of the, the design. It looks great. The one thing I did want to point out, though, that, it, that was in the meetings here, in some of the minutes here, that I want to really put a fine point on. There were a couple of mentions of how the redesign could cause delay of commuters of up to one minute. And I want to make a, put a really fine point on this. One minute of delay, which was the worst case scenario, is the cost of saving lives in Berkeley. We hear this from drivers all over the city that they might get delayed by a minute. It is clearly not a trade-off we should make. We should always err on the side of safety. And if it's one minute, I accept. Thanks very much. Thank you very much. We'll go next to Makai Freeman, followed by Ryan Lau. Yes. Um, so I want to uh, agree with on the size safety and really ask that. Um, I'm not representing myself as a commissioner on the commission on disability, but I'd like her to 
discount a record of any conditioning that endorsed the current bike design on Nuvia. I don't know where that was gotten from, but I, speaking for myself, and expected that our commission was hopefully against it. Nilvia is a safety hazard. I myself almost got hit twice getting out there by like bicycles. Option two, I'd like to know where transportation staff, who they talked to from the lighthouse of mine, deaf and hearing impaired people and people who use wheelchairs and accessible vans. That's not a luxury, it's form of independence, the form of medical uh, access. Reducing parking is a definite for people who utilize vans to live independently and get around safely. There's been a lot of information here tonight, and I'm very angry at that because it's not true. What you are planning to design on the streets of Adeline is not going to be safe for a large amount of visually impaired, physically impaired, especially at night. And I, as someone who has to navigate the streets, I've lived in drugs for three, three years. In the past three years, I've never been more concerned about my health and other people's disabilities health navigating our streets because of the current outlay of road diets. And I emailed the whole council tonight. Showing the current case in Washington, D.C., where they are litigating the state because of the current design of pedestrians not near and accessible vans not having access to curb cuts. I'm sorry, sidewalks getting out their vehicles. I have to travel twice as far to get on a curb cut. It's separate, it's discriminatory, and it's not equal. And all that I heard talk about the, the ADA tonight, some kind of, of law that was bestowed on, to say we fought for the ADA, to live independently, to be respected, and we only Mr. Erickson, you know, came to our commission to ask us about this current outlay. And this death time, don't have one presentation about the road diet. And the diet that was put on Lilia and Gilman was what we said was the worst plan of the law. Both implemented. 
guys want to be exemplary to the Bay Area, it would be a lasting stocking litigation because San Francisco is redoing their bike lanes. They're learning from the, the litigation. Mackay, I'm going to ask if you can run the Angeles. So I'm saying stop with okie doke. This is not going to be a good idea. Come back to the disabled community, have genuine input, and speak to people. When I want to agree with Ben Bartlett, we have to have commercial uh, businesses not uh, down and visible. But in terms of traffic access, this is this is hopefully inadequate. Thank you. And thank you. Okay, we'll go next to Ryan Lau, followed by Liza Lutzker. Uh, good evening, Mayor and Council. Ryan Lau, External Affairs Representative at AC Transit. Uh, we definitely recognize the need to improve pedestrian and bike safety, along with uh, the need to provide sufficient uh, plaza space for the Berkeley flea market and public programming, um, as well as, as uh, uh, Councilmember Bartlett um, elucidated, um, the need to activate the frontage along uh, Adeline Corridor. Um, and, I, and we think that uh, bus service can be an important part of, of that process. Um, ensuring safe, fast, reliable connections, delivering hundreds of people directly in front of the newly envisioned commercial district um, and at the foot of uh, considerable transit-oriented development would be of benefit to all. Um, we, we also think that um, we can achieve all of the, the goals of this project with just a little bit of out-of-the-box thinking. Uh, and a raised transit lane at the same grade as the plaza could allow for weekday transit-only um, lanes along with flex space for the, the plaza to accommodate the needs of the public, uh, the Berkeley flea market, along with a hard edge um, to general purpose traffic uh, that could close the distance for pedestrians to traverse the intersection safely um, and effectively uh, serve as a road diet. Sorry, I know that I'm out of time. So uh, appreciate your time and consideration. Um, just thought I would throw that out there as a consideration. Thanks. Uh, we'll go next to Lisa Lutzker, followed by Paul Lee. Hi there, um, Liza Lutzker. I'm a member of the uh, Transportation Infrastructure Commission, but I'm speaking as an individual tonight and specifically speaking about this because Ashby BART Station is my BART station. Um, thank you, Councilmember Bartlett, um, for the description of what is needed. Um, in a reparative way at this station. I'm really excited about this opportunity for South Berkeley and the space for the community. I really wanna thank staff for the thoughtful work and um, having, you know, again, um, thank you to Beth. Um, this I think is your last council meeting. Thank you for your work and thank you to all the staff for going out there and engaging with many members of our community about this. Um, option two is really great to have more space for people. I really wanna encourage the idea that um, the commission did talk about of uh, having accessible entrances 
from the plaza down into the station so that there's not total reliance on the elevator. And again, the real need for closing the gap, really, I think you need to push BART on this issue and make sure that BART can uh, assure that there is a connection between the plaza and these buildings. Um, thanks so much. We'll go next to Paul Lee, followed by Ayana Davis. Uh, a minute has been given to me by Nagin Mosaed. Okay, thank you. I've been listening with growing irritation and outrage to what sounds like the wet dreams of wealthy, mostly white outsiders has been outlined. I keep thinking, what the hell does any of this have to do with those like me? Those who look like me and those who most of all grew up there as I did and were displaced by what an early administration called development. Unlike any of the experts and policymakers who've spoken tonight, I grew up in what was then called Grove Street, now Martin Luther King Jr. Way, one block north of Ashby. This means that I'm old enough to remember when South Berkeley Square, the vital, throbbing, commercial, entertainment, and residential district of non-white, mostly black South Berkeley was literally white off the map. And since then, a race from human memory for the convenience of white people who wanted to be able to get from point A to point B without having to be troubled by anyone who looked like me. Our homes, our businesses, our entertainment venues were taken from us. This was robbery, theft, and broad daylight. I can hardly speak because I'm feeling deja vu in the worst way, like a cruel laceration that was never allowed, much less helped to heal, is being ripped open again. As Malcolm X said, if you stick a knife in my back nine inches and pull it out six inches, that's not progress. If you pull it all the way out, that's not progress. Progress is healing the wound that the blow made, but they won't even admit the knife is there. The knife of arrogant white presumption, in which outsiders, newcomers, and supposed experts arrogate to themselves the right to decide what should be done with land that we were forced onto, but that in the face of Berkeley's patented up north racial Jim Crow racial discrimination, we made a place of our own is still on our back, making black and brown Berkelians the new alone. The knife of damnable white entitlement is still slicing into our dignity and cutting away our rich, all but forgotten heritage, which can't be captured by a damn statue of Mabel Howard. A statue can't substitute for a livable, affordable, and most importantly, affirmative community, like the one that was destroyed by a previous iteration of the same white power that's again promising progress and even repair, but that we recognize as the same old white game of bait and switch. I pray that those of us who feel this way are wrong. But if we're not, God damn you for doing this to us again. Okay, we'll go next to Ayana Davis, followed by Kit Saginor. Well, Paul Lee, <laughs> um, we do advocate for the right to stay, right to return, and right to own for the Black community in Southwest Berkeley, but all of Berkeley. I could really follow up with that, uh, with a lot to say, but I will say this. Um, we support option two um, as Deputy Executive Director of Healthy Black Families. We want, want to, you to know, we want green space and park um, space in South Berkeley, um, the largest plaza possible for the flea market, <clears throat> retail stores above ground. How about a market hall? Um, we absolutely oppose the dedicated transit lane based on current and past AC transit schedules. There, 
is just no need for it. Um, the BART RFP needs time for the community to review and follow up and give input. Um, we support a wider plaza and a bike lane through the plaza, um, dedicated uh, the dedicated turn lane, but no dedicated bus lane. Um, also, uh, we support public art in a children's play area and a definite is a definite must for our plaza. We see ourselves holding community events, workshops, and classes at the plaza. We also support a covered community marketplace at the Ashby Bart um, or perhaps the pending developments. We also encourage open community green and park space at the new planned Ashby Bart developments. We thank the city work. Um, staff for their work, but we understand this is just a small part of repairing, repaying, rebuilding, and restoring the Black community in Berkeley. And we really encourage the council to understand this, that the community demands so much more. This cannot be a Band-Aid on the historical and unprecedented mass displacement, redlining, structural and institutional racism that has impacted the city for um, well beyond my lifetime since probably its inception. Thank you and I'm complete. We'll go next to Kit Saginaw followed by the call of the number ending 680. Thank you very much. Uh, this is my neighborhood. I really appreciate the work that uh, my council member Ben Bartlett is doing on this. Um, the, I don't wanna repeat all the great things that he's already doing. Um, one thing I will mention talking about a greenway and about park space, of course, not only will there be a lot more housing at Ashby Bart, but there are many other parcels in the neighborhood that are going to become, uh, you know, many, many more apartments than they are than are living there now. Um, I, I'm not about to complain about living in a city. I live in a city. I understand there's going to be more housing. Um, there needs to be park space. There needs to be open space and green space. Among other things, there needs to be park space for dogs as well as for people. Right now, the um, softball field at Grove Park is used for off-leash dog exercise. That's not supposed to be what's happened there, but that is what happens there. There isn't another place, as far as I know, anywhere near here for people to take their dogs, run their dogs off-leash. Um, if there are more people and more dogs, that area will become impacted, both for the dogs and for the children and for the softball players. So please um, keep this in your in in mind as you continue uh, working on developing the parts of this area that you have the control over how they develop. Thank you. Okay, we'll go next to the caller with the number ending 680, followed by Nina Wilson. Okay, caller with the number ending 680, you should be able to speak. Please press star six to unmute. Hello, can you hear me? Yes. Hi, my name is Elizabeth Starr. I'm a resident of Berkeley for 30 years. I'm an elder with eight different disabilities. Um, I fully support what Mary Lee Smith and Mackay Freeman said. The bike lane on Milvia Street is a nightmare for wheelchair users. So many of us have almost been killed many times on that. Accessible van and car parking at Ed Roberts is really important. It's not a luxury, but independence to be able to get to and fro 
It sounds like there won't be enough parking. Um, I do not believe this should be approved in its present condition, situation, um, e either one or two. The Commission on Disability and the Commission on Aging should be included. They really understand the stuff. Um, unless you're living with disability, it isn't exactly how you might think it is. It's a lot harder. Um, it, um, okay, the ADA is not out of date. Um, it's a federal law of the land for all of us. You, any of you could become disabled at any time. Um, we, it seems it's a bit ableist, meaning the able-bodied are taking control of, of what we'll have and not have. Elitist, meaning the people, maybe with more money, are taking control of what we will have and not have. And ageist, because so many, you know, people are getting, are aging here in Berkeley. And, you know, we want to have the same kind of good lifestyle as, as anyone. There are really thousands of disabled and elderly living in Berkeley. And um, we're scared of these bike paths because the, you know, the electric scooters and electric bikes almost hit us on a daily basis just trying to cross the street. It does not sound fully ADA accessible at all, what your plans are. Also, I do not live in the Alcatraz-Adeline um, area, but I travel there often to Ed Roberts, and I would be literally scared for my life to try to do it under either of your plans. I also ask that the Hopkins bike lane is, has full due process because we're afraid over here of having Thank it you for your on comments. Hopkins and not having any way to have full ADA accessibility. Thank you very much. We all deserve. Remember, this could happen to any of you, and you don't want it. You want you. to do the right thing. I know you do, and I know you want to respect Mackay, who I wish Thank was you. sitting Thank you. We need to go to the right next speaker. Now. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. Mina Wilson is our next speaker, followed by Kelly Hammergren. Mina Wilson, you should not be able to speak. Greetings. Can you hear me? Yes. Hi. My name is Wilhelmina Wilson. I'm the executive director at Healthy Black Families, Inc., um, Councilman Bartlett referred to Ron Dellums and the ability to complete the mission in reference to green space in the Adeline Corridor. I applaud holding this historical mission and moving it forward in the design of the space. Um, this is a, there is a current initiative that is also on mission. It's called Equitable Black Berkeley, which is the beginning of the city of Berkeley repairing harm done to the black community caused by institutional racism, segregation, and redlining. This is work Healthy Black Families is contracted to do. Um, uh, our obligation in this work is to support the city of Berkeley in understanding what it means to repay, repair, rebuild, and restore the black communities in South and West Berkeley. There's a great deal of intersectionality between the current scope of work and it's all around the same spatial area. Um, I think, um, but we have not been asked to participate in the process. And so the voices we represent are not at the table. Um, this type of exclusion and strategy for outreach contributes to community distrust and excludes voices that should be heard and allowed to inform the process. I respectfully request that those shepherding this process expand their efforts to strategically engage those dedicated to supporting and informing the process and to intentionally include healthy Black families and the constituency that we are contracted to represent in this conversation. I'm complete. Thank you. Thank you. 
Kelly Hammergren, followed by the call at the number ending 297. Um, thank you. I've been reminded during several of the speakers of what it was like when my husband was alive and in a wheelchair and we had a van and we had to try to find safe places to unload close to our destination. And I have a lot of concerns about the plans for this area. Um, this is also an emergency access and evacuation route. So please keep that in mind. Uh, I was on BART on Monday during the commute hour and it was the first time I had been on BART since the pandemic and I was simply shocked at how few riders there are. Um, so, you know, I have a lot of concerns about this plan. Um, and after visiting with a number of people in the flea market, I'm also concerned about what this will do uh, to the vendors. Thank you. Okay, we'll go next to the call with the number 297, followed by Carol Morasevic. Please press star six to unmute. Good evening, city employees. I'm Richie Smith, a 71 year resident of this city. I've seen it in many stages and the stages that it's in now is troublesome. I reside in South Berkeley proper and it's filthy down here. And you planning on developing the Adeline Quarter you cannot even make a deal with BART to repair the water lines that they damage when they retrofitted the tracks. I've been involved in that from the infancy of the damage. And now you're wanting to develop the Adeline Corridor and proper the BART station. Wake up. Hear our cry. We are dealing with this. We live in this. We've lived in it. We know what we need down here. You give cars blanche to all these bikes and what have you, and they bring them down here and hook them up on the sidewalk, blocking the sidewalk, which is a hazard. You need to connect with the people that's out here with heels and soles on the sidewalk, and it would be advantageous for our employees that's calling the shots and making all these decisions to come down here and see what's going on. The, the drains in the mediums is so full of trash. I see these vacuum trucks driving up and down out of line sightseeing when they need to be pulling all this trash out of these gutters and drains. There may be some body, bodies in some of these drains that's been there so long. I know what's down here. I walk this when life and health permits me to be out here in my neighborhood trying to clean up and trying to make it decent for people to come in and partake of what we are trying to produce. Business of closing 
new businesses opening up, and I don't know what kind of guidelines you're giving for the development, the construction, and all of this, because people are coming in doing what they want to do. We need changes. You're pandering to the developers and offshore money makers and what have you, and they get their money and head on back and count how much they got, leaving us in distress. Wake up. I know what's happening down here. And when self permits, I try to take care of it. Thank you. This goes to the employees from the top to the bottom. Okay, we'll go next to Carol Morosevic. So uh, when one hears the presentation and hears all the council discussion, it just it sounds very exciting because you're uh, including uh, persons with disabilities and then you're th so um, it, it it leads one to think. And so now they they are recognizing the importance of not only persons with disabilities but that this community is aging and needs to be accommodated. Uh, but then you look at the bike lanes, as Mackay Freeman has mentioned, along Adeline. She's talking about the ones in Melvia. And you can see that the, that clearly uh, older persons and persons with disabilities were never consulted on this uh, or anyone apparently with common sense because you don't put a, a bus stop in the middle of the street, then a bike lane, then a bus bench where people need to sit. And so as this conversation continues, hopefully this isn't just happening here, the conversation, and there is this inclusion that will be transpiring throughout the process uh, of persons that are going to be impacted in the community. Okay, thank you very much. I don't see any other raised hands to speak on this item. So is there any additional public comment? Last call for public comment, please raise your hand if you wish to speak or else forever hold your peace. Okay, we'll go to Karen. Hi, my name is Karen and I live in South Berkeley on Fairview Street and MLK. And I hear a lot of talk about connectivity um, on the side of Adeline. Well, in Lawrence District, which is below MLK, I would have to cross four lanes and there's a barrier, I think you said of six feet in between. And I don't think that is connected for me. And I'm also nervous about how big this building is going to be that's going to be built. So that's pretty much what I have to say. I don't feel like it's gonna be a part of the community completely. I do think it's gonna be great for the transit area but I don't know if I would feel comfortable with barriers and a tall building. So I guess I'm saying, please have open space, a lot of open space. Thank you. Thank you very much. I don't see any additional raised hands on this item. So I wanna thank everyone for your, your comments. Um, I think it's really important perspective and information to have. And I wanna now turn the floor, turn the floor over to Council Member Bartlett to make a motion. Okay, thank you, Mr. Mayor. And I also wanna thank the community members for your excellent commentary, uh, very helpful. And I'd like to make a motion that sort of includes um, some of the things we heard today as well. And I wanna say for the record, um, this is 
this is why we fought so hard in the, in the beginning of this process a couple of years ago. You may remember we fought for the area-wide affordability because this is going to be such a beautiful, fun neighborhood, and we want to make sure that affordability was baked into the entire area. And so we accomplished that. I'm really excited about it. Uh, area-wide, there's an affordable matrix for the entire entire micro region. So it'll be shared, shared prosperity. That's the goal. Um, so uh, I want to, I'd like to incorporate Kit Harrison's um, uh, concept about working with the Adeline Corridor, uh, with the um, at Roberts Campus around issues and the Disability Commission. Councilor um, Harrison, do you want to, should I state my motion first and she adds to it? How, do, how should we do this, Mr. Mayor? Yeah, what I, the request that I had heard was to ask that the, that the, the more developed designs come back to city council for council input. And I do think the idea of, of including in the direction to consult the Ed Roberts campus and the disability commission is a good idea. Does that, I think that encompass what you suggested, right? Vice Mayor Harrison? Uh, uh, yes, I have some suggested language, if you'd oh. like me to show it. Yeah, why don't you show it so he can include it? In okay, the okay, but I did not have the consultation with Ed Roberts, and I think that's very important. Um, yeah. Excuse me for a minute while I pull this up. Okay, can you see this? Okay, adding and authorizing the city manager direct staff to proceed with, and CAPS is the new language, developing preliminary engineering concepts directed toward ensuring universal design and access for consideration by the public and the council and subsequently detailed engineering design of the project. And we can wordsmith that, but that was the general idea. Okay. So back to Councilor Bartlett, it's his district. So. Oh yeah, no, that was all I wanted to let him do. take the lead here. So that's, that, I mean, that, that's great. It's, it's somewhat wordy, but I think we get the idea. Um, Preliminary engineering cost. Yeah, of course. It, it's clear what, what you're saying. And then for my motion, which we could add to it, uh, it's, it's two parts actually. One for the recommendation segment, and the other for the resolution segment in this in this item. Uh, and it's the same language uh, for the recommendation. Um, I'd like to say um, where at, at the bottom of it, where it says authorizing the city manager to direct staff to proceed with the detailed engineering design of the project. And here's the new language including uh, a podium connecting retail to the Adeline frontage. Mr. Clerk, did you get that? Should I say it again? Uh, I got it. Okay, and then the same, the, then, then the same language essentially at, during the resolution uh, down towards the last whereas um, and and before the quote, pending identification of funding quote, um, we wanna add this language and to include a podium connecting retail to the Adeline frontage. Okay. Um, so that is, that's, that's a motion and I will second for purposes of discussion. Okay. Um, all right, Councilor Bartlett. Anything else? Uh, that's it. And just and just overall, um, in terms of the parking element, the parking aspect of this is definitely going to be um, uh, a full spectrum um, plan that we have to come to grips with and and make some hard decisions on uh, around the neighborhood or on the street itself. And and 
you know, but the ADA will, will definitely take a priority as well. But I want to say this, though, it's important to realize that uh, we're looking at 10 to 12 years before this stuff is set up. And in that time, I can pretty much assure you that the, the notion of driving cars and parking the way we do now will be radically different. Change. Yeah. Very much, very, very, very much uh, not the same. So that's important to keep in mind. But uh, thank you. Okay, thank you. Um, to Paul and Elisa, you understand the, the motion? We got it. Okay, Councilor Drosty. Very quickly, I just wanted to thank uh, Councilmember Bartlett for all of his great leadership efforts in this um, arena. And also I wanna thank staff uh, for all of your work, um, Ms. Shen and Ms. Thomas, thank you so much. And I wanted to bid a, a farewell to, uh, to Beth Thomas and thank you so much for all of the work you've done. You've been such a tremendous asset to the city and it doesn't go unnoticed, although it may feel like it at times, um, but you are so appreciated by, um, I think I can speak on behalf of the council and for all of your work and efforts. So thank you very much. And, and thanks again to staff and to Councilmember Bartlett as well. Thank you. Thank you. So, so I, I understand that this is going to be Beth's last city council meeting, which she'll be presenting. And um, it's a huge loss, the city of Berkeley, your retirement. Um, but we're so, I, I second what Councilor Drossi said, we're just so incredibly grateful for all your incredible work, um, leading so many important transportation projects for the city. And um, I just really want to thank you for your service to the city and uh, wish you all the best in the next phase of your life. And um, uh, I, particularly, I've had the pleasure of working with Beth as the city's lead negotiator and the negotiations with BART. And she's really provided a high level of professionalism and um, an expertise that's helpful for the city as we're evaluating some of these transportation issues. And so um, I really just want to thank you so very much and um, um, just recognize you as this, I believe, is the last time you'll be presenting to us. So. Thank you, Mr. Boone. Thank you, Mr. Boonhagen. Did you have a question or comment? Yeah, just a quick comment. I just wanted to join my thanks to to yours, Mr. Mayor and Councilmember Drosties, and the rest of councils and some of the people who commented for to Beth for her her hard work and dedication and quiet just diligence um, in service to the community of Berkeley. She she had said before this. She said, is there any chance this could go on consent? I'm happy to go out quietly. <laughs> so she's someone who does not seek praise and does not want the limelight, but quietly undergirds a lot of the great transportation work that happens. And Beth, I want to, to you to know how appreciative I am and your colleagues are in addition to the council. So I just wanted to say that. Thank you for the opportunity, Mr. Mayor. Thank you so much, Paul. I'll just say it's been very rewarding working at the city of Berkeley and it's it's very rewarding to see plans that we develop actually um, turn into projects you know when when they are well designed and, and supported by the community so thank you look forward to inviting you to the opening hopefully within 10 years so that's our goal i'll be eligible for social security by then so <laughs> <laughs> i'll be there yeah. okay um i'd like to ask this council members any additional comments we have a motion on the floor. I don't see any raised hands. So um, thank you to all of our staff. Um, it's been multiple departments planning, 
transportation, public works, our consultants, and then obviously Councilmember Bartlett, who's been involved in this process from the very beginning, working with the flea market community, the South Berkeley community, um, and our partners at BART as well, who've really been working in partnership with us um, throughout this process. I saw Abby Thorne-Lyman on the Zoom and Deb Castle, so thank you very much. Okay, um, any further comments? If not, I'll ask the clerk to call the roll. Councilmember Kesarwani? Yes. Kaplan? Yes. Bartlett? Yes. Harrison? Yes. On? Yes. Graf? The one graph. It's not, not on. Oh, she is. There she is. Councilmember Wengraff to um, approve the, the item as amended. Yes. Robinson? Yes. Drosty? Yes. And Mayor Erigan? Yes. All right, motion carries. All right, the motion carries. Um, so um, is there any public comment on non-agenda matters from any attendee that did not previously speak during the initial public comment period? Okay, Mr. Siegel, yes. I also just wanted to say goodbye to Beth Thomas. Uh, I really have appreciated working with her over the years and she'll be missed, I'm sure she knows. And I do have one hint for you, Beth. After I retired, I started spending more time on Berkeley politics. So you might want to imitate that model and start going to more Berkeley city council meetings like I did. Thanks, Jesse. That's all. Thank you. Todd Andrew. Oh, hi, Mr. Mayor and council members. I know you're all anxious to get going. Congratulations on finishing early. I just wanted to put in a plug for uh, Solano Avenue, the uh, winter strollish. It's not a full on stroll like in September. There won't be uh, there will be vehicular traffic on the avenue, but there will be events and somebody's going to be showing up on Sunday, the 11th between three and uh, between noon and 3 p.m. Uh, the event itself on the whole avenue goes from 10 a.m. to uh, 5 p.m. But Santa will be showing up at noon. And it's not just on that day he will be there. Uh, he'll be there on the 3rd and 4th, the 10th and the 11th, and the 17th and 18th. So um, just want to encourage people to head over there and welcome our visitor. <laughs> Have a good night. Thank you. Um, Makai Freeman? Yes, I wanted to say good night to everyone. And also, um, you know, it, it, it's such a beautiful job to service and to volunteer time to paid or not to get involved to improve the lives of our fellow citizens. It's also an affront to when people volunteer time not to listen to. And so in terms of going forward, I want to just let the council, the council know that there are many activists and grounds organizations that have been working tired and are getting involved in the civic community. 
because we're tired of being ignored. And we have policies and pra practices that we have to live with and navigate that are oppressive. So in terms of the last agenda item, you know, people are living in this community aging and they want to be able to navigate our safely and you want to heard. And I know you have regional bodies that you all sit on and you want to bring them to Berkeley. But you have to customize to the needs and the voice of this community. And they're not going to be silent. And they're not going to stand by, especially for new oppressive policies that, again, are going to be inequitable and discriminatory. So please, staff members and council, keep that in mind, front and center, when you think of policies and practices. Thank you. I don't see any other attendees with their hands raised to speak on non-agenda matters. Um, so thank you. Um, I'll make a motion to adjourn. Second. Roll call, please. Councilmember Kesawani. Yes. Kaplan. Yes. Bartlett. Yes. Harrison. Yes. On. Yes. Langraff. Yes. Robinson. Yes. Drosty. Okay. And Mayor Arity. Yes. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. We are adjourned. Have a good evening. Bye.